experience. Boy, it's been hot enough to fry a horseshoe lately, but today on the program, we're going to talk about the WWE's $12 million man, AEW's discount ballet dancer, and wrestling shows that make you want to go puke. And to join me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, the man who always looks like a million dollars, dirty green and wrinkled, the great Brian Last, everybody. <laughs> Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. And there's one I had not heard before. Very good. <laughs> I didn't know whether to uh, to go in that go in that uh, genre or to make a vomit comparison to you in oh. some fashion. I figured I'd compare you to a million dollars instead of some fake vomit. You know, the more I watch wrestling, the more I get Bobby Eaton's stomach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the thing, because... Bobby could see he worked the uh, um the dog food match with Mad Dog Boyd in Memphis where the loser <laughs> has to eat a can of dog food, right? Yeah, Alpo. And of course, because Mad Dog was the baby face and Bobby was the heel, and Jimmy Hart's his manager, he has to lose and eat the can of dog food. And everybody knew about Bobby's stomach. So what they did was they got a can of like Denny Moore beef stew or whatever. And I can't remember who did this, but somebody carefully sliced the label and what, and put it around, uh, put the dog food label around the can of Denny Moore beef stew. So all he's got to do is eat beef stew, right? right. He's got to work. It's, it's a work, yeah. right? But the problem is they open the can right there to make everybody think it's legitimate and it's cold beef stew anyway. And he's looking at the dog food label and the cold beef stew out of the can is not the most appetizing thing you've ever had. And he started throwing it back up in the ring <laughs> as he was trying to put it every time he no. shovel a fucking fork in his mouth and he would, whoop, whoop, and, and it would spew back out. So he didn't even have to really eat the beef stew, but the people enjoyed it more because they really believed it was dog food because he's legitimately throwing up in the, uh, but anyway, he could look at the, if you told him, Hey, Bobby, doesn't this Colonel Sanders chicken gravy look just like baby shit? He'd throw up at that just at the comparison. Well, I'm getting there, especially if I watch any more raw. Oh boy. You know what? We'll, we'll do this at the top of the show because it's not like we have to wait for the reviews and i don't have a very good order of events here on the program after my week we'll talk about that later on but just the, the only thing that anybody discussed off of last week's or this past monday's raw episode was old otis throwing up after uh, i'm a, a, a led to believe a hot dog eating contest because it was fourth of july is this what happened beforehand I. No, there was some sort of eating contest. I also know I decided not to watch Raw in any form yeah. or fashion this week, but I believe from what I read and I saw a photo, there was some sort of backstage eating contest. Again, Vince McMahon asserting his control over the creative content of this show. 
Well, I saw the clip on Twitter of, of like seven seconds of there. There's Otis doing the and and blowing some what I assume to be fake vomit because it, I assume it was a planned spot. And as I sat down and I said, after the week that I've had, am I going to speed search through a three hour raw episode just to watch some fat fucking preliminary guy? spit up fake puke. And the answer I gave myself was no. So for all of you waiting for the commentary on the puking on raw, we're, we're going to do more conversation later on in the program today about the, what's making the executives in Titan tower throw up. But, um, but you know, that's the, with Vince, I don't know what it is with the bodily functions that he finds so hilarious because remember poor Draz, Darren Drazda. The I obviously I'm not a big football fan, and it's it's not Draz is a great guy, and you know I enjoyed every time I ever worked with him or was around him or whatever. But I'm not knocking him when I say this. He wasn't like Joe Namath or a famous football player that I would have known, right? So I'd never heard his name before, and. Everybody's seen the video. I, what was it on? Where they were showing Vince said, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna puke. Beyond the mat. Barry Blaustein was in the room. That was okay. That was in Beyond the Mat where he was because that was like 97, 98, that time period when Draws came in. But the first time I had heard about him, Bruce Pritchard was like, We've signed this guy, Darren Drozdov. Oh, who's who's that? Well, he played whatever his football background was. But he gave a brief dissertation at best, uh, just a mention of his football background and, uh, you know, what a great athlete he was, all that stuff. But he goes straight to, and he can puke on command. And I looked at him for I said, he, well, now what, he can do what? And he can puke anytime he wants to. I said, well, actually, first, in my mind, I started making the comparison. Okay, we've signed this guy to do an angle. Bigger, like when George the Animal Steel was doing the the uh, chicken wing. Rick Bolton was the guy with the shoulder. Was it Rick? Okay, there, folks, For if you're new listeners, George the Animal Steel back in the 70s, maybe late 60s, whatever the time period, many years ago, used a chicken wing as his finish, and he knew a guy that could pop his own shoulder out of socket on command and it didn't hurt him or whatever. And so he would, George, whenever he would be working a territory, he did this a few times, he would have them bring the guy in and he'd pop the guy's shoulder out with his finish and it was obviously visually fucked up and that would get the finish over. And so for a second, I thought, so we're going to do some kind of angle where this, you know, for some reason, a guy has a move that targets the stomach and this guy's going to puke. But then I thought, well, that doesn't make it. We've signed him. You can only do that once before it would get old. And I said, how, how is that a selling point? And he said, Vince saw the story or saw the uh, publicity on this and just thought that was the greatest thing. And that was one of the main, and of course, Draws was a great athlete. And like I said, a great guy and strong as a bull. And I, but he never, he never got the time to be a 
a great worker because he was only what in the business, maybe a year and a half or whatever the time period was, two years. But he, you know, May could have got there, but he, you know, you could have, he had a future. And, but the problem was, I remember the first time they tried to get him to do it. He couldn't do it because he would do it in football. I guess he'd get nervous and he'd throw up before the game and that would make him feel better somehow. And that's how he uh, came up with that talent. But then when like they're trying to all eyes are on him and the TV cameras and they're trying to get it and he couldn't fucking do it. And he, I think one time he almost hurt himself working up a fucking little dismal amount of, he, you know, he should have gone to eat at fucking, you know, Taco Bell or something. But, but anyway, um, so I don't know what Vince's thing is about the bodily functions, the fart jokes, the shit, the trying to, you know, I mean, we all try to fart on each other every once in a while for fun. Not no matter Not what all that. of us. Not all of what? us. What? I don't do that for you fun. You have never tried to crop dust somebody that you were trying to fuck with. You just slide over to them and hope that it's a silent but deadly one that they won't really hear and that they'll be enveloped in it before they know what's happened to them. You've never done that? I've Not only have I never done that, if I have to pass gas, I'm going to leave the room so that for the rest of everyone in that room's lives, they're going to have to wonder if I ever pass gas because they're not going to know. Not I'm going to spread it around and brag about it and well, what about if shove it on one, you. What about if you've got one that's like the decibel level of a Who concert? It'll sound like a fucking foghorn on a steamship off the coast of San Francisco in the Barbary Coast days, and you, you're going to be proud of that. You want people to hear that. Nope. Like I said, I would walk out of the room, and if it was something to be proud of, it would be self-pride that I'll share with myself. No one else yeah. needs to hear that or smell that or be around that. I'm a big fart fan. I cleared four <laughs> grown adult professional wrestlers out of a fucking 40 Econoline van with one fart one time, I'll have you know it. The Louisiana humidity helped, but they jumped out. Oh. They left it to the point where the people next to us thought that there was a goddamn hold up or something taking place four grown men jumped out of four different doors of a van all at the same time i was in the back with my fucking colonel sand back when colonel sanders used to have those good chicken nuggets and you dip them in the colonel sanders gravy that looked to bobby eating like baby shit and eat that 20 piece box and boy and then you're enclosed in the walls of a a padded padded walls because it was customized of a ford econoline van <laughs> At a gas station. Boy, there you go. Anyway, so that was raw. Uh, <laughs> that, that, story, that story actually was more entertaining than raw was on Monday. And it didn't take me three hours to tell it, did it? You know, the other thing about draws is, you know, so much was made, obviously, of the ability to puke on command or on demand or whenever you want. They gave him the name puke. Wonderful. You know, hawk, animal, and puke. That yeah. didn't work so well. But the other problem is, and I'm not a fan of vomit, as we've exhibited here today, but it wasn't even that impressive. Like, even when it worked, even like in Vince's office, on TV, whenever, I never saw like a big, like, holy shit, he just spewed. It was always yeah. like, yeah, it looks like he just smoked a cigarette and he has to spit up a little bit. That's what it always looked like to me. It was never the projectile skipping over the floor and going straight to the wall type of thing that would be. Like a Stewie Griffin, Brian Griffin family guy puke fest. Something like, it, it was never like that. 
But, but like, hey, anyway. you're, you're a big fart fan. You're obviously talking about various. I'm a, fart. I'm, a, I'm an aficionado of the farting arts. And you're talking about some of the fart activities you've been involved with. You've been in a car a lot of times with Vince McMahon. What about his fart etiquette? You know, that's the thing for a guy that not only likes him so much, but also shit himself one time at the gorilla position, trying to do that to Jerry Briscoe, who's another noted weak stomach. I don't remember Vince and, and a protein powder aficionado as he was. I don't remember Vince ever letting anything of impressive volume or consistency or aroma. I know he he remarked on a couple of mine a, a few times, but that's probably, you know, it's probably all that bland food that he ate. Just basically bland, unseasoned meat and carbs to fucking work out on. Or maybe his ass was just really tight thinking about all the money he's sending out to women all over the place. Oh, he no way. We'll talk about that later on. He wasn't doing that when I was around him. Boy, I'll tell you what, there was... WCW priced blowjobs. Come on. Holy mackerel. You know, we've got we've got some mathematics we've done on that later on. Uh too. I and speaking <laughs> of mathematics, no, I've got, I've got some of the cult members. <laughs> you serious? Okay. Have done some mathematics. But uh speaking of math, I want to thank everybody out there before we get off on the tangent por- portion of the program where we take some people to task. I want to thank people. The cult of Cornet members we talked about raising between the uh, the I'm a Sin Guy t-shirts, the uh, charity fundraiser for NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI.org, uh, in May, thanks to a large matching contribution uh, from an unnamed co-host, as well as the t-shirt sales and et cetera, we raised a little bit over $5,000 with the Cult of Cornet uh, contributions. And in June... Another almost three grand, twenty nine hundred and twenty dollars. So somewhere around eight grand uh, with so far with the matchings and the cult of Cornet, different contributions and the T-shirt sales. And there are still a few of a couple of sizes. I think we sold out of uh, a couple sizes, but there's still a few of the Sin shirts available at jimcornet.com with all the proceeds. And I'm matching that sale going to. NAMI.org. I used to say NAMI, but somebody chastened me about that. It's NAMI like mommy, except in mommy is spelled M-O-M-M-Y, whereas this is N-A-M-I. So I think they picked a, a flawed simile. But nevertheless, and speaking of JimCornette.com, like everybody is, and I just was, um, I've got the lowdown now. The bloody action figures that sold out back in April so quickly, we saved a limited number for Australia and New Zealand because the mail was screwed up and we couldn't service those fine Cult of Cornet members over there. The last remaining bloody variants go on sale on Saturday, July 16th, only if you're in Australia and New Zealand. Hotchkiss Featherbottom's got the rest of the world blocked. He's having a little trouble with Switzerland because they're neutral, but everybody else is blocked. So if you're in Australia and New Zealand on Saturday, July 16th, and Brian, did you know this? They're not on the same time zone down there. I guess that. that makes sense. Yeah. It's two different countries, but you know, it's still, it's all down under. I figured they had the down under time zone, but to make this happen where it's daytime down there under, down under, down there under, down there in from underland, 
Um, I wonder if they make Fromunda cheese in Fromunda land. What we're going to do is we're going to put these bloody variants. I'm, you know, for like 30 something bloody variants remaining, I'm going into great lengths on this, but I'm having fun. Um, if it's 11 a.m. in Australia on Saturday, July 16th, or 1 p.m. in New Zealand on July 16th, 11 a.m. Australia, 1 p.m. New Zealand, log on to jimcornette.com and you will have the opportunity to grab, while they last, one of the 30-something last remaining bloody action figures that we saved back for our, our fans down under. And if somebody calls in or writes in or whatever they do, do they call in this show, Brian? <laughs> do, they, do we ever get calls to the show? No, we don't, thankfully. <laughs> well, then if they write stay tuned. in. Well, there you, it could happen. If they write in and say there's more than one time zone, depending on where you are in Australia or New Zealand, I give up. Because it took Hotchkiss about three days to figure out what time in Louisville, Kentucky, he'd have to put these things on sale. So 11 a.m. in Australia, 1 p.m. In New, in New Zealand, Saturday, July 16th. And for you friends of ours in the rest of the world, you're not going to be blocked out of this. I explained the original Jim Cordette action figures, the red and yellows, the one that started it all. I found out last year I could actually get new blister packs without having to requisition them from China for the ones that were damaged in shipping to me that I never put on sale for all that time and put them in the garage closet. We've got like 84 of them. And these are the, are the last ones. And the proceeds from the 84 original figures that go on sale to the entire world Saturday, July 16th at noon Eastern time, wherever you are in the world, noon Eastern, that goes to the WHS Crusade for Children. So what's 84 times 49.95? Brian, somewhere around $4,200 if we sell all of these, hope we will, we'll go to the WHS Crusade for Children. And the Acorny in the UK and live in London, my complete live show at London's Leicester Square Theater back in 2014. The DVDs are back on sale as well on July 16th. So jimcornett.com for all your merchandise needs. What time are you going to order in New Zealand or Australia, Brian? Do you have do you have tentacles down there? You have minions? People that do your bidding from down under? Of course I do, but you never know where I am. No one ever knows what time zone Hawaiian Brian is in. But let me ask you about something about down under. I think it was 81, 82. What did you think of that first Men at Work album that hit in America where they won Best New Artist at the Grammys? Let me t just say this. There were two songs when I first got in the wrestling business that were played on the radio fucking incessantly. One was that Eddie fucking rabbit. I love a rainy night. Right. <laughs> All right. Okay. And it just so happened that when I got into business full-time in the fall of 1982, the first three months, 12 weeks that I was in the business, I was in Tupelo, Mississippi every Friday, 420 hard miles from Louisville, Kentucky, and it rained every goddamn week. I remember I couldn't see the road rain in the middle of the Holly Springs National Forest. That's where I wrecked my car one night, <clears throat> slid off the road in the wet and the fucking blah, blah, blah. And 
that song would play incessantly while I'm driving through these monsoons, day or night, to and from whatever. Tupelo, I love a rainy night. Fuck you, Ed. I've never been able to stomach Eddie Rabbit since then. And the other song was, Have we come from the land down under? And finally, we all broke down and asked Dundee, What the fuck is Vegemite? And he told us, and then now, yeah, since then, he said it was a horrible, awful, putrid-tasting thing of some kind. I can't remember exactly what it comes from now or what it is, but I actually saw, years after that, in some place we were at, Vegemite, and got some and can concur with that. It was a vowel-tasting formula. But I, because of the constant repetition of those fucking songs, I learned to hate both of those songs. Thank you for asking. Thank you for answering. Why are you asking me questions? This is my program. It sure is. I hand it back to you. I've had a bad week, a rough week. I'm all right now, but last week I was in rough shape. The big remodel project that I've been planning for the past several years has finally got started. And it got started, of course, in the middle of this record heat wave in Louisville, Kentucky. Wednesday, this past Wednesday, was the hottest day in Louisville in 10 years. 101 degree air temperature, a dew point of the mid-70s, led to a heat index of 112 or 13. I saw conflicting reports. And these guys were tearing out my back two rooms drywall and fucking ceiling and all the shit we're getting rid of. And I'm back and forth out there talking to the electrician and the plumber and the contractor and the heating and air guy and all the various minions that are coming over to do things all day back and forth. I can't go through the house because we can't open the door because the insulation has come down from the attic where they took the ceiling out, where they're going to do the spray foam stuff. And it's like a snowbank. So I'm going outside. I lost five pounds this week and got so fucking ill Wednesday just from standing outside in this heat talking to these people that I had to take a shower and lay down. And moments before we went on the air, you were complaining about the the weather in your part of the country. Oh, it's so hot here. Why, it's in the 80s. I bet you don't even know what your dew point is after all we've talked about, do you? Obviously, I'm not going to take that bet. Well, that's because you're not paying attention. I had, I had heat warnings on me, Brian, last from the from the government, from the local television, official heat warnings. Don't go outside; it could be dangerous to your health. What do you got up there? Bupkis is what you've got. Well, there are shark attacks on the rise, and also people have to wear masks again, maybe because of the rise in the coronavirus. That doesn't have anything to do with the weather. I'm talking about real-world issues. You're talking about the weather. What is more real-world than the weather? The sharks attacking people off the East Coast. But, well, if you had better weather, they wouldn't be doing that. That's why they're coming here. That's too hot now. The water's too hot, so they're coming here. That's where it's all related. If we had better weather, (laughs) then you'd get rid of your sharks. (laughs) So when you say say better weather, you're not saying... 
Like Los Angeles weather all year round, you're just saying more regulated the way it used to be with seasons. The way it used to be when it was normal before we fucked it all up. It was hotter this week in Louisville, Kentucky than it was in Miami, Florida. And that's not supposed to be right. And it, but anyway, as I said, and they're tearing all this stuff. My whole, my life is verklempt. That's why I got a lot of, a lot of notes and papers, things jotted down. But we may go back and forth today because we've emptied two rooms of the house out. First, it was, we, we, we got took on the big uh, remodel and addition 20 years ago on the windows and doors. We need the energy efficient windows and doors. They got, they can do amazing things these days with windows and doors. Don't ever give up hope. The, the doctors these days with windows and doors, they can do amazing things. So we're going to get those. Well, then the trim, one, we need to get the baseboards and the crown molding to match that. It's going to be nice trim. We'll do that. Well, then well, the floor is going to look like, well, we need a new floor. Well, then it became, well, we need to change some things around with the electric and the plumbing to put some lights and said, blah, 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 maybe a built-in cabinet. So we'll just take that section of wall down. Well, then we found out the insulation in the wall was the old kind of stuff, not the brand new spray foam stuff like you're living in a styrofoam cooler practically. It just keeps all of your conditioned environment in. So let's take the drywall down on the walls, do the spray. Well, the, the ceiling there and up in the attic space over the enclosed back porch. So basically they've gutted two rooms, about 800 square feet of space from walls or ceiling down to the studs and we're starting from scratch so this is going to take a few minutes and my routine is disrupted so we've had it but there is there is a raccoon update we have racked another raccoon brian you want to know how he got racked old racky raccoon he got racked what you have lex luger over there stunning steve bradshaw the total is package? now Again, the total package, Stunning Steve. He is now the official host of Marlon Perkins is dead. I'm pretty sure he's dead. He had to be 65 or 70 when I was a kid. So unless he's a vampire, he's already, he's pushing up daisies. But Jim Cornette's Wild Kingdom with the star of our show, Stunning Steve Bradshaw, he has now caught and relocated four raccoons. And now... Three of them were kind of blasé about the whole thing, and they just hung out in the, the little cage until he could set them free. One of them was bouncing off the walls, and he figured there may be something wrong with him, so he gave him plenty of room. But now, as I mentioned, do, what did I tell you this the other day? Maybe we were on the phone, we weren't on a show. He believed that he captured the leader. Number three was the big fat one. And we you just assume pictures. it's the leader because it's the biggest and fattest? Well, he's the biggest and fattest. That means they let him eat first. Also, oh, like the old royal view of life. The bigger yes, and fatter you yes. are, the richer you are. There's a there's a pecking order with the raccoons. I guess it's a cooning order with the raccoons. Instead, because the chickens peck and well, what do the raccoons do? Do they rack or do they I don't know what they do. But anyway, we got he got the fat one, and there was pictures of two of the the soldiers trying to get on they were on top of the trap trying to pry the raccoon out, the big one, the leader. But they were unsuccessful. And he caught another one, and he relocated him. But now there's a mystery animal. It got close enough to the camera to set it off, but it was it was under, all you see is the fur sticking up from underneath the the camera lens. It was like underneath the view of the camera. It was 
poking around there. So we're not sure what that ant. It looked sort of like a porcupine or an armadillo, but we weren't sure. So I've had that going on this week. So I'm a little verklempt. I've been trying to stay up on all the latest wrestling news and everything, but we've yeah, this has been a daily thing with the the various tradesmen. The, and, and the folks at Tom Drexler were back in force this week. Mike Fox, Blake Bishop in the electric department, Josh Demian over in heating and air, Cato, his name's Mike, but they call him Cato in the plumbing department. Call the plumber whose name is a number. Call the plumber whose name is a... Call one Tom Drexler. That's his number. Yeah! I just saved $1,000 on my air conditioning. So, they were over here and they kept me busy, but I managed to keep track of a lot of things. And I was on Twitter intermittently again this week, retweeting the, the notices of our videos on YouTube and various things and a few opinions of people that I agreed with, but I wasn't constantly monitoring this. And I understand again, that is the time. It's like you wash your car to make it rain. Well, why is it every time that I leave Twitter, that's when I trend on Twitter, Brian. And I'm not sure, you know, if, if maybe this is a, a strategy that I've got without knowing it, that the more I stay away, the more it it hungers the conversation about me. But you, you're the one who mentioned that I was trending. And I, I actually, before we, before we get to that, I should mention that the, one of the first people, I told you this, you didn't even really see it yourself because you don't follow the person involved, but um, one of the first people that made me trend on Twitter was running their yap on, on Twitter again this week. And you remember old Jordan Grace, right? The outlaw girl wrestler. I think so. She, I actually, and ladies and gentlemen, if you're new to the program, I actually trended on Twitter one time. This was a couple years ago for calling Jordan Grace Butterface. That was it. She made some, she's another one, if you haven't heard of her, and many people haven't, she's one of the outlaw girl wrestlers that I think she's part of the modern wave that, you know, just doesn't understand what the fuck's going on around them. And she made some inane comment and, hey, Butterface. And it trended on Twitter. People thought I was fat shaming her. Remember that? When I cut... Brian, you you know you're aware of the the meaning of butterface, aren't you? I believe so. I think the meaning, and actually, I'm not sure if it really applies here. The meaning is she'd be good looking, but her face. Yeah, everything looks good, but her face. But actually, and actually, you're correct in that that would mean that everything else but her face needed to look good. So I wasn't even really being correct, but because it was taken as fat, I guess because butter contains fat or if you eat a lot of butter you get fat i don't know where these i don't know they don't they don't live in the real world they're only on twitter so butterface was at it again see that's why i affectionately call her that now because she she gave me one of my first big trends on twitter um but butterface was at it again apparently apropos of i have no idea what she just blurted out 
a controversial take, as as she phrased it, about Chris Benoit and his ability or lack thereof to exist in today's wrestling or hang with the modern. Not, not anything about what he did, but just a critique of his wrestling. Do, can you find that? Do you have that? Because I told you I was going to mention it. Yeah, I found and something. And I don't know how to find things on the Twitter. I found something here. I have an article that trans well transcribed their tweets, but put all the tweets together in the one article. So apparently she was responding to another person. I don't have that here, but he said something about how people will say Chris Benoit's awful and then defend him for a while, with the exception of New Jack. I think that was the tweet I saw. And then she replied to that, This is going to be the coldest take I ever tweet on this app. I already know y'all going to be mad. I don't think Benoit could 100% hang with most of the present-day best wrestlers. He would not be able to remember matches. <sighs> also, may he burn in hell. Amen. And then oh, she does boy. have a follow-up. I don't know if you want to address that or anything. Oh, sure. Go. I didn't see the follow-up. I'll tell you why I saw the original in a second. But go ahead and follow us up. Maybe I'm biased because he murdered his family. I don't know. Probably just me. I think we should all hate him and disregard his entire body of work. But again, that's just my take. I always found it revolting to see people praise his wrestling after what he did. And then, uh, proving a point, I said something very lightly critical about him. People jumped to defend him. Do they? He should never be defended. Dude lost that right when he gave his seven-year-old Xanax and strangled him yeah. when he was already unconscious. Well, listen here, you fucking douchebag. Because now that I read all those comments or hear all those comments, I'm even more pissed off than I was. I was just scoffing at her before. But look, number one, fat ass. Fat ass. Now I'm fat shaming you, fat ass. You never met Chris Benoit. You never met Nancy. And you never met Daniel. So why you decide that your opinion in this matter makes a fuck to anybody, I have no fucking earthly clue. Maybe it's because you're allegedly in the wrestling business. Well, that's like some baseball player on the New York Mets today saying that, well, that goddamn Ty Cobb, he may have been a decent football player, baseball player, but fuck him. You know what it's like? It's Jordan Grace criticizing Chris Benoit's wrestling ability is like a second string arena football player saying OJ Simpson couldn't hang with him. It doesn't carry a lot of weight from that source about that topic. So you never met any of these people involved. I don't see a lot of people jumping to defend Chris Benoit, including us that have discussed it on this program, including me, who knew everybody involved. I knew Nancy longer than I knew Chris. Whether it was his brain damage or insanity or whatever the fuck that caused his head to turn to mush, nobody's ever tried to defend that. But, <laughs> well, just but, for this inane, unknown twit, can't call her a twat, that'd be sexist, twit, to just jump in and say, but may he burn in hell... And he couldn't hang because he couldn't remember his matches. The reason why I saw this was because Gail Kim, an actually talented girl wrestling star rather than a wannabe girl wrestling fucking whatever, had a reasonable take in that obviously nobody can excuse what Chris did the end of his life, but the idea that he couldn't hang 
with today's wrestlers is ridiculous. And she mentioned that she's seen some of these goofs say the same thing about Angle, and that's ridiculous because he could mop the floor with the entire roster as well. That doesn't excuse anything that Chris did in his final days, but it's an inane statement to make that one of the most talented guys ever in the ring could not compete with today's guys because he could he couldn't remember as I tweeted it. He couldn't he didn't need to remember matches. He just had them. He wasn't a play pretend wrestler <clears throat> like Jordan and all her little fucking cosplay buddies that rehearse their parts in their play and go out and fucking shit the bed. He was a wrestler. So as I say, nobody wants to defend OJ Simpson, but is some fucking schlub water boy from fucking Biloxi, Mississippi on a local high school team going to, yeah, fucking OJ couldn't play down here. That's the ridiculous part. What were you going to say a minute ago? Well, I was just going to say, you know, I think she's exposed herself several times in the past on Twitter as not being very bright. And look, she works for Impact, so we can't really care too much about this person. But the just general ignorance of the, the whole idea of, I'm going to put out this really stupid comment, and then I'm going to complain about anyone who fights back against this stupid comment. There's a difference between defending Benoit and pointing out that your comment is completely fucking stupid. And yeah. if we're going to be honest about it. And I hate Chris Benoit. I was a big fan of his. I've never watched another one of his matches since he did what he did. And I never will again. And I don't want to. And I can't even understand how anyone could enjoy his matches. Fuck that guy. But if we're going to actually talk historically how good he was in the time. And let's bring Kurt Angle into this so it's not just about Chris Benoit. The idea that those guys, or let's say Benoit, she pointed out, couldn't hang with the top crop of the current guys. It's the exact opposite. The top guys today who need to script out their matches and plan out their matches can't listen to the fucking room, can't call a match in the ring, can't do anything without it all being pre-planned and choreographed. They couldn't hang with Kurt Angle. They couldn't hang with a Benoit in his prime or any of the top wrestlers of the past. That's the difference. And again, this is someone in Impact making a dumb comment, and people jump on it because it's a wrestler, but it's the same as any fan giving a dumb comment. She doesn't know anything historical Actually, about no, wrestling. I think a lot of the fans have a more well-rounded knowledge of the wrestling business than people like this that just, you know, have wandered in and because it's the everybody can play era are allowed to do this. But it, it, the video, if nothing else proves that, you know, this her stance that she's got wrong and ridiculous because every time that a, a guy that's still in shape from the previous generation gets in the ring, he exposes all the fucking newer guys as lacking in basics and fundamentals and not able to move with things and go on the fly and just the little things. And, you know, but, but the problem is that people like Jordan Grace have, they don't understand when they're looking at a superior worker because they don't understand what work is anymore. So they, they think that the people who like some of the fans that are not well-informed, the people who don't fly off the top rope and break a number of tables and, you know, do the Japanese strong style spot and whatever they, they, well, they don't know how to work. They can't hang with today. No guys that did this 320 something times a year 
for 15 years all over the place against different opponents and with different crowds could eat all of you all alive if you just sent you all to the ring and said, okay, go 20 minutes, ding, ding. And the other thing too is the guys today, what's their schedule? How many matches are they working? Top guys, how many matches are they working? Do they work twice a week anymore? A week? Twice a month, maybe, if you're a top guy. How many matches on TV does a Roman Reigns actually have? Matches. Oh, okay. Well, I was thinking. Or Kenny Omega. Match- any of the top guys that you want to put in that category who have been world champion the last few years. Especially I was AEW. just thinking about anybody. Does anybody wrestle more than twice a week anymore? Well, I'm sure someone must. <laughs> on the indies. Well, after the pandemic, what are, are they running anything but Fridays and Saturdays? How could you... Really, maybe a Sunday, maybe a Thursday. Does anybody run Tuesday anymore? How could you work more than two or three times a week? I've stunned you. I've blown your fucking mind, Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of an example of a person who's working more than that in the States, and I, I don't know any off the top of my head right now. Well, there you go. So anyway, um... Thank you, Jordan Grace, for your unsolicited, stupid statement. And uh, try to stay in your own area of expertise at this point. Whatever that may be, find one. Stay out of ours. I got an email, Brian, from one of the listeners. Would you like to hear more about Ranger Ross? Oh, okay. We just talked (laughs) about him. Where did we talk about him? We talked about him. um, Oh, Greg Oliver. Yes, um, but this came in just a couple of days ago because it's from Nicholas, and I'm not sure. Nicholas doesn't say what part of the world he's from, so we'll... Well, no, wait a minute. Uh, he he drove... This was years ago. He drove from High Point, but he was in college, so we don't know where this motherfucker is now, Nicholas. He's somewhere, but he's hiding, possibly because he's got this story to tell about Ranger Ross. Jim and Brian, recently on an episode of JCE, you mentioned a name I've been searching for for years. Around 2005 or 2006, I just finished my first year in college and was trying to beef up my acting resume. I had gotten in touch with a film creator in Georgia from a casting website. I drove from High Point, North Carolina to some small town outside of Atlanta. Uh, I met the film producer director at his house, read a monologue for him. Everything went well. We started to discuss his next film that he was casting for. And he asked to come, asked me to come back for a table reading in a few months. So I went back to Georgia and met with him. I was the first to arrive, and he informed me that the wrestler formerly known as Glacier was also cast in the film. And growing up as a wrestling fan, I was very excited. The filmmaker claimed to know Sid Vicious, Jim Cornette, The Midnight Express, etc. I'm trying to remember the filmmaker from Georgia that I'm that I'm good friends with and can't remember for the life of me. The famed film producer, Sammy Kent, I believe. Hey, that could, a uh, good old <laughs> uncle Sammy. But anyway, uh, Nicholas continues. When Ray Lloyd showed up, he was accompanied by a tall guy with a very thin mustache. When he introduced himself, he called himself Ranger. He told me that he wrestled for WCW and was a four horseman. What? That's when I, that's when I questioned him. <laughs> <laughs> because he was African-American, and, and though I was born in the mid-'80s, I knew there was never an African-American horseman. And I thought, let alone a wrestler named Ranger. He said he replaced Tully. <laughs> and I stood oh there in God. awe of what he was saying. 
That day, he went on to make some insane comments about the wrestling business that I ignored, and when I went home that night, I looked him up to see if I was wrong about the horseman, and I found out that no, he was never a horseman. I found out he had lit a jail on fire, and he may have a warrant out for his arrest. (laughs) I never went back to the callback for that film. And never heard the name Ranger Ranger Ross again. Ranger Ross, yeah. Ranger Ross again until today, and it made me recall this story. There was, see, Ranger Ross, we talked about it. He was in the service. He was a paratrooper or parachuter or whatever. They, as, as Bob Eaton said one time, they, they dropped him out of a helicopter into Granada. But then after his wrestling days, this email kind of jogged my memory about, didn't he get in some kind of trouble, legal trouble, police trouble or something after? Yeah, I believe he got into a lot of trouble. I believe he went to prison and I'm actually looking it up right now. Well, no, you may be thinking about old hard body Harrison there who went to prison for a long, long time because he had a harem of women that he had coerced into Pothetuthan. No, I think I'm but, thinking about this guy. He went to prison too, I think. Did Ranger Ross go to prison? Hold on. Ex-officer charged in bank heist. Police call suspect motorcycle bandit. On February 10th, 1996, Ranger Ross turned himself into the FBI. He was the notorious motorcycle bandit. <laughs> having committed a few robberies in and around Ackworth, Georgia, including banks and a grocery store, and then racing away on his motorcycle... Uh, let me see if it says how many years he spent away. Ackworth, Georgia, by the way, was the hometown of Mike Gibson, who uh, was the original president of the Bob Armstrong fan club and is right outside of, I think it's still in Cobb County because uh, it was not far from where Big Bubba Rogers lived, but it's uh, suburban Atlanta, Ackworth. Well, I'm looking this up because, and it doesn't have the exact amount of years, but he went away for at least several years, it appears. But when he said that he lit a police station on fire, that was so close to Bruiser Bedlam's story that I was like, is there more than one wrestler that tried to light a police station on fire or blow it up? Well, I, you know, well, but maybe it's just the alliteration. Bruiser Bedlam, Ranger Ross, maybe he just, he got the, he got the crime mixed up. He thought Bruiser was the motorcycle bandit and thought Ranger blew up the police station. So let me ask you this, because you were there. You know, at the end of Dusty's run, after uh, Dusty was replaced and Crockett Jr. booked for a little while and then George Scott, do you think when they had Hiro Matsuda with Flair, instead of Kendall, do you think Ranger Ross would have been a good fit in there with Barry Windham and Ric Flair and Hiro Matsuda and Ranger Ross? Ooh, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure. I think they, the, what was it, the Sumitomo, am I getting the diehard terrorist or company mixed up what was matsuda was it wasn't a sumitomo the yamazaki corporation yamazaki sumitomo was the bruce willis movie no that's no that's not even that that's uh oh what's the name of that that's the plaza sukiyaki you're just coming you're just making words sukiyaki was a number one uh hit back in i believe 1963 it was remember it's a very beautiful song, and it was Japanese in Japanese lyrics. And the only allegedly Japanese song that the record company knew, or Japanese word that the record company knew back in the early 60s was Sukiyaki. So they put it out under that title, and it went gold. You know, I'm getting really excited about what could have been. Can you imagine 89 Flair? If it turns out after all these years, it was all an act. 
He doesn't have any money. He's been <laughs> robbing banks with Ranger Ross. It would have been the greatest thing for his gimmick. But what about, can you see if, if, because Ranger Ross replaced Tully. Well, if, if Ranger Ross and Arn Anderson had been the brain busters with Bobby Heenan, do you think mm. it would have worked? Well, no, he replaced Tully because Tully left with Arn. So I think timing wise, that's just completely ridiculous, Jim, if we're going to be honest about it. Well, no, you found, you, you know what? You have found the loophole in the story. I would have believed it except for that. And just to think about the idea, if they had let him join the Horsemen a few months earlier when Tully was there, he could have been a part of the Midnight Horseman feud. <laughs> Jim Cornette takes the combat kick in Philly. Uh, the combat kick? How do you remember? I didn't even remember that. When I started watching NWA in 1989, the two wrestlers I saw every single week when I tuned in were the Great Muda and Ranger Ross. And I didn't realize yet that Ranger Ross was a chopper. I thought he was one of the push stars. Like, man, this guy's cool. He can move and he does a kick. Why does he keep losing? And then he just kept well, losing. See, that's the... He had been wrestling for just a very brief period of time, I believe, on the Indies in Georgia. He might have been a Sammy Kent protege. Might have. I can't remember where he broke in. But he, that was his first ever he'd never been to a territory he didn't have a lot of experience he'd never even worked regularly but they found out about his military background and this is when Hurd wanted to do the vince blueprint and everybody's going to appeal to the kids and everybody so ranger ross he's going to be the gi joe and remember norman the lunatic is going to be the the kids you know the friendly george the animal steel type and the ding dongs and uh, all the other things they did. And, and Ranger Ross, actually, besides the fact that he was indeed the motorcycle bandit and how many things he may have committed arson on, we have no idea of these things, ladies and gentlemen. Well, other than the email, I have not seen anything about arson for the record. I'll keep looking. Okay, but. yeah. I mean, you know, just because you can Google him that he would turn himself in as a motorcycle bandit doesn't mean he ever set anything on fire. But he, he wasn't rotten, but he just was kind of green and not real good. And the gimmick was, it was... It was done so one-dimensionally, you know, that that I think a lot of people, the way it was presented, people thought it was bullshit when it was actually true, I think, in some cases. Because WCW under Turner and under Hurd was starting to do the cartoon shit and the ding-dong gimmicks and the stuff like on Vince's TV, and people were already realizing not take shit on Vince's TV seriously. So here comes a guy that re they really did drop him out of a helicopter into Grenada. And they thought it was just another gimmick. Like remember Matt Bourne became a lumberjack with a fucking bear. Big Josh. That's right. Big Josh. I have an update. I have an update here. Uh, Ranger Ross, real name, Robert Lee Ross Jr. Was arrested by the FBI on February 10th, 1996 in the Atlanta area. He had committed bank robberies as the motorcycle bandit. He had been accused of robbing three Atlanta area banks over the preceding three years. He was also suspected regarding an arson committed at the Ackworth, Georgia Police Department, where he'd worked as a probation officer. Apparently, the goal of the fire was to destroy city records in an effort to hide embezzlement on his part. So he was not only a motorcycle bandit and an arsonist, but an embezzler. Fuck, if you had brought him in and teamed him with Bruiser Bedlam, it would have been the best real-world <laughs> tag team ever. 
You could, could we, well, we couldn't have called them the blonde bombers. Just the bombers. Just the bombers. <laughs> the bombers. <laughs> the fire starters. <laughs> you know, the problem is, I think the problem becomes, Brian, when you just... <laughs> The problem becomes when you think to yourself, you know what the best solution is? I'm just going to burn all this shit down right now. No one will find me. No, 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 no. I I think the problem becomes when you try to jam a transition to an ad spot in where it doesn't necessarily belong, but we're going to try to do it anyway because it's about that time. And folks, I'll tell you, there's no need to set fire to your pubic hair. There is no need to commit arson in your crotch. There is no need to have one of those brush fires to clear all of the the underbrush and the ground clutter away from your most sensitive areas. We, as a matter of fact, we encourage you not to do that. And if you are going to set fire to your pubic hair, please, folks, practice pubic hair fire setting safely and don't use gasoline. Stick to like butane lighter fluid, which burns at a little bit lower temperatures, so your your weenie may roast a little bit slower and you might have time to put out some of the good parts. But then that leaves you with wondering what to do about your crotch rot and all the skankiness that goes down. And, and folks, just because it's the only thing you can see in the mirror when you're standing in front of it, don't forget that your pubic hair goes all the way through the taint valley and into the crevice of your ass the hershey highway entrance known as as the canyon there it's got to go all the way up see you're really you're having to shave from the back to the front from the front to the back and meeting in the middle in taintsville and to do that you don't want to set fire to it you don't want to use a weed whacker you don't want to use one of those scythes that they use to cut down wheat and things in russia you don't want to use any sharp implements you want to use stuff that's made to operate down there in not only close quarters, but potentially wrinkly conditions. And I'm talking about our friends at manscaped.com and the performance package 4.0. You got the lawnmower 4.0. It's designed to reduce grooming incidents and accidents. That's another thing you don't want to take to your crotch, an axe. It may be sharp, but you don't want to cut things off with that. I've seen a few people that looked like they were hit in between the legs with an axe. And it wasn't a pretty sight. Stick to the lawnmower 4.0. It shaves hair on loose skin. So it, no matter how low your coin purse hangs to the ground, you can, you know, move around the wrinkles and the, the shades. And it, you know, I've seen some guys that their, their coin purse looked like a popped balloon. Other times it looks like, well, it looks like they took the balls from one of those old-fashioned pawn shops and just put it in a fucking tube sock. But nevertheless, these ceramic where, blades... Where are you seeing these things? Are you hanging out at the county pool? Well, you see, you see a lot of things over at the county pool. I Actually, I've always hung out at pools in various places. The county pool, the city pool. I used to hang out in the paralegal pool up at Titan Towers. <laughs> but thanks to the advanced skin-safe technology... The lawnmower 4.0, no, no nicks, and also there's no need for night vision goggles when you're going on this fucking reconnaissance run, folks, because the trimmer has an LED light so you can mow the lawn in the dark. Of course, I'd go back the next day in the light and take a second look at it just to make sure that you did your job correctly, but it's basic landscaping. 
if you're trimming the hedges, the tree looks taller without increasing its height. So that's a, it's a tropical illusion, as they say. What do you say to the listeners who have gardeners? For the listeners who have gardeners, you need the gardeners to be equipped with the proper tools. Because see, here's the thing. (laughs) The greatest surgeon in the world is not going to perform an adequate heart transplant with a ballpoint pen, a paper clip, and some duct tape. They got to have the right tools. See, a poor workman blames his tools, but a great workman with great tools, well, you've got just, that'll be just swell. He blames the apprentice. I say again, what? Well, he blames the apprentice. You say he can't blame the tools. I say he blames the apprentice. What does Donald Trump's bad television show have to do with this? The second best tool in the performance package is the weed whacker. You stick this up your nose or in your ears, and it will eliminate all the nose pubes and the the growth out of your ears that looks like that you've accidentally watered grass seed in your ear cavity. You just take this weed whacker and you stick it up your nose, gets all the ear or all the hair out, stick it in your ears. Just don't stick it too far. You start to see colors. I figured that out one time. I was trying to get all the hairs out of my nose. I stuck it up about three quarters of the way. And this thing's about four or five inches long. I stuck it up about three quarters of the way and everything was green for three days. But you can also add pep in your step with the crop preserver ball deodorant. I mean, you're, you, you will feel like you're cool and refreshed, like you have encased your testicles in this Space Age spray foam insulation with that Crop Preserver ball deodorant. Not only that, but the Crop Reviver spray on testy toner to tone your testes. You know, that is actually the plural of testicles is testes, isn't it? Yes. Well, there you go. See, I don't make up these words. And (laughs) if you purchase a performance package 4.0, you get two free gifts, the shed travel bag to hold all your goodies in and anything else that you might be holding or carrying, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing manscaped boxers. And this is not a couple of guys that are going to come to your house and punch you repeatedly in the head and face. These are these are shorts. These are drawers, as Mama Cornette used to say, the undies that you wear underneath your normal everyday street clothing that you wear from the waist down. And they got a bunch of other stuff on the website to help you keep from stinking and not look so repulsive as your female better halves tell you that you do when you allow all this shit to grow and and mold. So anyway, right now, manscaped.com, 20% off and free shipping with the code DRIVE, D-R-I-V-E, at manscaped.com, 20% off and free shipping from the Amazon to the amazing dong. With the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. Why, there's Luke and Butch now. All right, let's go back to trending on Twitter because we got started on Ranger Ross, the motorcycle bandit after Butterface. And I forgot where we were going, but I trended on Twitter again this week, as I mentioned earlier in the program, while I was unsuspecting and unawares dealing with my contractors, you informed me of this. And I said, well... What did Uncle Dave say now? And it wasn't Uncle Dave, it was Twinkle Toes. Apparently now I trended a number of times this week on Twitter because Twinkle Toes 
decided to play video games again, I guess, with random people and, and be recorded doing it. And or is it was this an actual interview or was this just him sitting alone at home with his joystick in his hand playing video games with people on the Internet? I believe from what I saw, this was on Twitch once again with. Oh, on Twitch, on Twitch. OK, on Twitch. Which would be yes, it involves we've, video games. We've got the Wall. We've got the Wall Street Journal. We got the New York Times. We've got NBC News. We got Twitch. Twitch. What was he twitching about? Apparently, he was twitching out about you. Once again, now we had played audio from a previous stream where he talked about his many injuries and how people attack him all the time. Yeah, can you just read this one? Because between him trying to speak English and play a video game at the same time. And he might have been trying to chew some gum, too. We're not sure. It took forever. Can you just succinctly, briefly encapsulate whatever the drivel was that he had to talk about so that we can tell Harpo what we think of him? Yeah, let me read this, and we'll break it down, because it is quite amazing in its disingenuousness. But let me go to it. (laughs) Stunning and baffling in its bullshit. It's amazing when someone's a bigger worker out of the ring than they are in the ring. But let me go to this comment not, here. Not with this guy. I would say he could do anything, work anything outside the ring better than in the ring. But go ahead. I think Jim Cornette has backed himself up into a corner where now he's found this group of extremely pathetic human beings who have no other thing to aspire to become or no one to base their life off of. No one to listen to. No one to adhere to their commands. <laughs> and so, when it became a character that he could play, as though he was still traveling up and down the strip in the Indies, like in back the, in the in, old in, days. Wait a minute, back in, in the Indies, but there weren't any Indies in the old days. We had a thriving business till people like you came along. I never worked the Indies, dipshit. Go ahead. Now he's got this group of people hanging off his every word. And all he has to do is sit and talk on a podcast with some other guy. Hey, other guy. Hey, by the way, I'm not some other guy. I'm the SOG. So fuck you, Ty. Let me go back to the quote here. (laughs) When he realized he could make money by delivering hateful speech, he backed himself into a corner. And now, if he want (laughs) to... He's so stupid. If he wants to make rent, if he wants to buy his fancy McDonald's double cheeseburger meal. Hey, where, where's the Wendy's gets no love? What about Freddy's Steak Burgers? They just opened one over here not too far away. Why don't they get the love? You know, just take a quick break. I hate cheeseburgers, so I never really listen too much to your details on what you want like other people do. Do you like McDonald's cheeseburgers or is it always do, Wendy's? If I'm on the interstate and the only thing available to get to is McDonald's, I will go there, but it's not my first choice. Okay. But see, well, because he doesn't know anything else about what he's talking about, so why is he going to get my fast food pick right? He has to talk about the things that are going to get attention, and a lot of the time, that's going to be yours truly. <laughs> Uh, And then I guess talking a little bit further down here, he is asked about whether or not Cornette's comments have any effect on backstage life in AEW. This is the funniest part. That seeps into our locker room, too. Yeah, it does. Everyone is so afraid of the fucking cult of Cornette army and people that have like, you know, anti-AEW sites that they want to be, they want to do whatever the fuck they can to stay safe. Wait a minute, the guys that, wait, what is he talking, the guys in the locker room want to do whatever they can to stay safe 
from mean websites and our fans who don't like them. Have have we uh have we got an army out there that I'm not aware of, Brian? Have who appropriated or uh, apportioned the money to equip our our field army to go out and and you know put the hammer down on the people that we're against that, that all these people are huddling up and trying to stay safe. Yeah, he's not saying what it really is, which is a lot of the wrestlers listen to his podcast and a lot of the wrestlers agree with his podcast and a lot of the wrestlers talk to them and they know what the fuck's going on. Not that, not me and the Bucks are losing some of the influence we have and we're worried. Not that, but the some, of the, some of the guys in the locker room are actually starting to listen to common sense instead of us. It's not just the locker room. It goes higher up than that. Well, while this guy's out with multitude of injuries to the point where no one knows if he could ever work a regular schedule as if he's ever worked a regular schedule. He's playing video games while he's taking years to develop this AEW. When did they start developing that video game? Was it at the beginning of AEW? I don't know. When did they invent video games? It was like the following week they started. And he's only, you know, he's making whatever he's making from Tony Khan. Tony's a charitable kind of guy. So yeah, go away and get all fixed up and I will send you a million or two here and there or whatever. But here's the problem. And first of all, let's address the fact that I don't, at first I thought, you've always thought they're just saying this because the the Hardly Boys and Twinkle Toes, they want to get the narrative out, as the kids say these days, that that you're the bad guy, Cornette, and that they're the good guys, and that's why they always say all this bullshit. Yeah, and and, and let me stop you right there, because they've done that. When they made up the whole story about Jim Cornette coming up to them at the Jeff Jarrett show about wanting to work a program with them across the Indies, (laughs) that it's all just some big work. That's when the narrative started changing. And then all of a sudden, them, Dave Meltzer, various people started rewriting everything before it going back to Ring of Honor. Now you were supposed to know in like 2009, 2010, the Young Bucks were the future. Just turn over Ring of Honor to them. <laughs> it's a completely fucked narrative. And with Omega, Omega has an incredibly dedicated fan base who like his style of wrestling. We ought to be watching out for those weirdos. But let's just address Talk about our pathetic fans. We ought to be watching out for those weirdos. Because if you've got something in your fucking brain that likes to see some guy get out there looking like Harpo Marx skipping around the ring doing video game moves, you might be dangerous. Maybe we need to do a mental evaluation, throw some red flag warnings on his fans. They seem to be the ones that are slightly disturbed, but nevertheless, that's why I said, you've always thought that. I have always said, no, I don't think they're doing that. I think these insufferable douchebags are so in love with the smell of their own farts, so heads so far up their own asses that they genuinely believe that they're big stars in some capacity and that if anybody talks about them, they do it because those people that are talking about them want their attention or want attention. I got news for you. First of all, as far as the pathetic people Twinkle Toes, here's the facts. Sit down, Mr. Peabody, and let me give you the deal here. I'm not alone in my opinion of you. I will explain in 
minute granular detail momentarily why that I dislike almost everything about you and the only things that I don't dislike are the things I haven't discovered yet. But to think that I'm alone in thinking that you are a joke jack-off is ridiculous. Because if anybody can bother to do mathematics, wrestling has lost approximately 75 to 80% of its fan base in the last 25 years. And the modern fans may go for the V-trigger and the one-winged fairy and the Canterbury step off the fuck, whatever the fuck. But all those people that have gone away, they're the ones, Twinkle Toes, that are repulsed by you and your ilk, the rest of the members of the Lollipop Guild. They're the ones that blame you and people like you, the phony, cosplaying, video game wannabe, trampoline cowboys that do a goddamn floor exercise every time they get in the ring when they're not bashing each other with inanimate objects or setting each other on fire. You ruined a pastime, a hobby, an interest, and entertainment that a lot of us had, and some of us professionally, for years and years and decades and decades, because it's just so silly and phony and stupid and illogical, and you've made wrestling something to be laughed at, and you admit that. It should be fun. We should all laugh and have fun at the silliness. Well, guess who's laughing now, Twinkle Toes? Because I've got the 75 to 80% of the wrestling fans that loved wrestling and don't watch it anymore because people like you on my side, and you've got the remaining people that will eat that Elmer's glue and thank you for the ice cream. For the kind of people who like that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing those people like. So I think the roles are reversed here because... When you talk about me, I trend. You don't trend. What would your brothers Groucho and Chico think, Harpo? I mean, I know you were always the third place Marx brother. There was always Zeppo, but he had the good sense to get out. Well, there was also Gummo. So, he was the brother well, who wasn't in the films. Yes, but Gummo was the business mind behind the whole thing. That's right. And we, yeah. we see how fucking Harpo's doing with the business of the video game. So the point is... He thinks, he genuinely thinks that he's such a fucking artiste that everybody talks about him to get noticed. You are talking to some guy that you're playing a video game with on Twitch, and I'm speaking on the highest rated, do we have ratings? You know what I'm saying. The most listened to podcast hosted by a professional wrestling personality in the history of history. Well, it's, it's any wrestling podcast altogether, not just hosted by a professional wrestling personality, to clarify. Well, I thought that would kind of be the same thing when I said it, but thank you for clarifying my clarification. But nevertheless, so I'm sorry that the, the star, actually, he wasn't even the star. I'm sorry that one of the bit players in the incomparable independent film sissy boy slap fight look it up on youtube i'm sorry that he thinks he's such a major superstar that i need to fucking talk about him to stay as the kids say relevant 
But since I trend on Twitter weekly, I speak to, well, what did we do on YouTube week before last? Over the weekend, we did about 2 million downloads, but that was well, three not, days. Well, not downloads. Downloads, uploads, views, whatever they call them. <laughs> yes. You know what? See, I'm a big enough star that I do all this shit and I don't even know how it works. <laughs> that's the truth. And that's, a, that's a, you know what? That's a, I always thought that was the sign of success. When people have a hard time getting a hold of you, you've become successful. And almost nobody gets a hold of me. Brian Last, you're a very successful motherfucker yourself, so you can. But anyway, Harpo, old Twinkle Toes, Mr. Olivier, world's greatest wrestling artist, our listeners aren't pathetic just because they think you're a shitty wrestler. And I'm not latching on to you for relevancy because let me know the next time you do the 10 million fucking tubes on YouTube that we do every, every, well, more than that a month. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that me and old Kenny, we're completely different people. And it's not like now that I've heard him talk and kind of got an idea of his personality from all these various interviews he's done and et cetera. It's not just wrestling. I, I don't know why anybody would have think I would ever like this fucking guy. The first time I saw him in Ring of Honor in, what, 2007, he's just, they booked him for one shot. And somebody said to me, hey, watch this guy, Kenny Omega. He's pretty good. And I see a guy that comes out. He's got a good physique. And he's making the blowfish puffer face like fucking Ultimate Warrior. And he was still wearing tassels back then. And he's running the ropes like the Ultimate, shaking the ropes like the Ultimate Warrior. And his work was the shits because he looked self-trained. I later found out that was kind of the case. And I said, he's got a good physique. He'd need to go to a quality training facility for a couple years. And Jesus Christ, can somebody tell him quit shaking the fucking ropes? And then I never saw him again until... I believe they tried to they tried to book him the once more. That was Adam Pierce tried to book him, and he ducked out of that take a booking in Japan and sent the I've told this story, sent the weird picture of a disfigured foot with gangrene and said, I hurt my ankle. And Pierce sends it to me. He said, Look at this shit. That can't be his leg. I don't know what the but no no loss because we didn't need him anyway. And then I see the videos of him wrestling. The six-year-old children, girls, not even boys, and the sex doll. Brian, let me, I've asked this before, but apparently either Harpo was busy flying back and forth to Japan or he didn't, he couldn't pay his uh, battery bill for his Raycon wireless earbuds, so he couldn't hear me, so I'll say it again. Why would I like anybody that wrestled a small child or a blow-up doll in competitive matches in front of people and on video. Why? Why would anybody think that I would want anything to do with a motherfucker that would do that? Anybody that's ever known me in my life. Well, I think the people that don't know you think that, okay, you don't like it, just move on. No, fuck you. Here's the thing. From the time, I, when I was a fan in the 70s, I didn't, if, if a person wrote a nasty article knocking the wrestling business in the paper, I didn't like that motherfucker. If somebody knocked wrestling 
On the street, I didn't like that motherfucker. When I got in the business, I was taught to protect it because it, I was allowed into something that people had spent a long time building and I should take care of it or get the fuck out. And when Eddie Mansfield exposed the business on network television, I thought somebody needs to fucking find him and put him in a goddamn landfill somewhere. And I have that feeling yet today. That piece of shit for his own self-serving interest exposed the business trying to get on TV and trying to make a point and trying to get even with people who wouldn't push him because he just wasn't good enough. So I hate Eddie Mansfield to this day for that. But you know what Eddie Mansfield didn't do? He didn't make wrestling look like a fucking silly, stupid, nonsensical joke. Just a fucking chaotic show of shit where nothing makes any sense and everything's phony and everybody's winking at the audience with a smile on their face because they think they're fucking characters in a goddamn movie or a major, mo major motion picture. Eddie Mansfield never did any of that. So what he did was bad enough, but that's even worse. And why would I have anything to do? I'll guarantee you this, whether he showed up or not, old Twinkle Toes would have never been booked on that one date in Ring of Honor that he was booked on that I was involved in that he no-showed if I'd have seen the video of him with the children and the fuck doll. I don't did, did like anybody that's... What? Go did, ahead. Did he wrestle the Bob doll? I know Kota Ibushi did. I don't remember who did what. Did he actually wrestle Bob doll too? Yes. No, they've had multiple mat multiple matches with children, multiple matches with dolls. That's what they, they got into the business in comedy wrestling in Japan. That's why that all of the people that Twinkle Toes brings over to AEW from Japan are not legitimate Japanese talents, girls or guys, but they're the Michael Nakazawas, and they're the Maki Itos, the outlaw garbage phony wrestlers of Japan. And I'm sure he don't like it that I tell people, and it's not like I'm telling people revelations, that I'm stunningly seeing something that nobody else can see. I just make mention of it because I got a platform, but it's the same thing. If you go to the YouTube section in the comments, or if you go to fucking Twitter, or if you go to social media on the websites, nobody likes his fucking joke fucking Japanese wrestlers any more than they like his joke American fucking wrestlers. Just because he's friends with them or they're fetish objects or whatever the fuck, they're not properly trained. They're not serious. They're nobody in Japan. And he expects people to treat him like stars here. And if you say, don't bring me any more of these Japanese outlaw mud show apartment house wrestling girls, then you're being sexist and racist. No, I like Japanese people. As a matter of fact, they're probably the most respectful people as a culture on the face of the planet, and they're very industrious, they're very intelligent, and once upon a time, like here in America, they had great wrestling. Not anymore, just like here in America. But it's only racist if you dislike Japanese people or dislike all Japanese wrestlers, not if you just dislike the shitty ones. Just like it's not sexist if you don't dislike all female Japanese wrestlers, just the shitty ones. And that's what you get when you deal with Twinkle Toes because he's got a mind in the mud show and it's going to stay there. He's never learned any respect for the business. He's never been properly trained. He's never been in a position 
where he could even share locker rooms with people who knew what the fuck was going on in the business until he got his little contract from fucking Tony. Because in New Japan, like we've said, even if he was on top in New Japan, the Japanese wrestling scene has gone to shit just like the American one has. And the American talent that they get over there now is what's left over after Tony Khan and Vince McMahon finish with what they want. So, as a matter of fact, old Twinkle Toes, when he was in Japan working for New Japan, Brian, what would you say in a, a comparison of general star power, mainstream celebrity, cultural significance, when we go... Ricky Dozan, Giant Baba, Antonio Inoki, Tatsumi Fujinami, and on through the more modern Japanese superstars, and then there's old Twinkle Toes. Where did Twinkle Toes rate with the real Japanese wrestling stars? Did anybody, could he have got arrested walking down the streets of Tokyo? I don't know if the wrestlers of today have, I I mean, I'm not going to say I don't know. They don't have the notoriety or the fame that the wrestlers of yesteryear had for a lot of reasons, including no network TV, but he didn't. And I remember talking to a Japanese historian in Japan who was just puzzled by some of the reactions to Omega and the Bucks here in the States because the attitude was they're not so special. They're not the special part of the matches. They're not the special part of the card in some cases with the Bucks. So there was a completely different narrative here than what some people in Japan had. But no, you can't compare Kenny Omega to any of the big stars, but you really can't compare anyone. But I don't think you can compare Kenny Omega to Hanson or Brody, the Funks, <laughs> Hogan, Andre. I'm thinking the biggest like uh, foreign stars in Japanese wrestling. Yeah, the well, the point is he walked down the street and nobody looks twice because it's a small niche audience just like we've got here today in this country now. So this fucking guy... Never been on television in America of any consequence whatsoever until he gets his billionaire mark to fall for their bullshit and puts him on TV. So, oh, Kenny, you've been on TV in this country for three years. So if we want to compare relevance and star power and mainstream recognition, I've been on TV in this country most of the time for the past 40 years. You've been on TV in this country for three years. I've spent more time in a fucking wrestling locker room than you've been alive. I think if we actually did the math, we can probably verify that I've been in more locker rooms than at least time that he spent either awake or asleep. So I hate to break it to you, Harpo. But I ain't trying to be a star off of you. You're trying to be do some damage control with me and discredit me because I just have the platform to bring up what everybody can already see about you. You're an insufferable twat, a douchebag, and a shitty wrestler. It's what you are. So embrace it. Embrace it. And because that's what your friends are too. They should embrace that as well. The problem is they act like insufferable douchebags on television and their heels, but they act like phony insufferable douchebags on TV. If they just act naturally and be the real insufferable douchebags, they might get some fucking heat. See, that's where I talk about the narrative, if I could jump in for a second. Because what happened 
is you didn't accept the narrative of Omega being the best wrestler ever, having the greatest match ever, and then the greatest series of matches with Okada, and the Young Bucks being the greatest tag team of all time, the greatest tag team currently, the new Midnight Express. You didn't accept all of that. Well, because it's preposterous. A lot of other people didn't either because it's ridiculous to make that statement. It's observably, demonstrably not true. But because you didn't accept it, it became something where we got to do everything we can to destroy this guy's credibility. We got to do everything we can to get people to not listen to him, not like him, whatever it is. And this is part of that. When he says the locker room is scared, let's be honest. A lot of that locker room has nothing to be afraid of. Just do your best. It's the fucking douchebags like Kenny Omega. And this is where people wonder, like, why does Jim hate him? Is it just because of the stuff in Japan? No. Is it because Kenny's gay? No, it's not that. It's because of the Well, and also, but I'm getting conflicting reports on that because I didn't know. I just thought he was just a nerd. But then some, no, he's not gay. Well, yes, he is gay. Well, sometimes he's gay. Well, I don't give a fuck. I don't care if he blows notes. I don't care. That didn't enter into it. He's a shitty wrestler. He made the business look like a joke. He's embarrassed it on numerous occasions. I still don't like his wrestling. And as I said, the more that I hear him talk, the more I realize that if we were locked up in the same room for five minutes together, I would want to gouge his fucking eyeballs out. I think he's an insufferable douchebag. And I don't know what his fucking mental status is. I don't want to push him off a bridge or anything, but goddamn. Don't be lying about me just because I tell the truth about you. Go ahead. But that's what I was going to say. Him being a douchebag. The narrative that's out there publicly isn't what people say throughout the wrestling business. Ring of Honor, New Japan, people in AEW currently. Everybody I've heard just says he's a weirdo. The nicest nice thing, guy, but man, a weirdo. Two different people. I swear to God, the nicest fucking thing they both said, independent of each other, was... He's really nice, but he's the weirdest fucking guy I've ever met in my life. And he's the people that like him. He's a weird fucking guy. And if you don't accept the crap he likes, he attacks you the way him and the Bucks accuse Jim Cornette of attacking them. If you notice it, that's the hypocrisy of it. We're going to do to you what we accuse you of doing to us, but we're going to be very soft aggressive, not even passive aggressive, soft aggressive about it and just try to rally people. A lot of that locker room has nothing to be afraid of. You know who has something to be afraid of? That women's division. You're a fucking bad booker. The <laughs> fuck's going on there? There's some talent there. Did the whole division's a mess? That's on you. That's on you, Ty. So really, get your shit together. And it's the outside of the ring stuff that I hope we start hearing publicly more what people say. Again, Ring of Honor, New Japan, AEW, about what these guys are like behind the scenes. How they're oh, but- fucking phonies. Behind, I'm not talking about in the ring. I'm not putting down wrestlers. Behind the scenes, as human beings, phonies. And there's a lot of wrestlers who like Jim Cornette shows and listen, and there's a lot who don't, who all think that. And you'll hear more about it in the coming years. You guys know I got it all right about Cody. You'll see. And again, I've heard that he gets very emotional old twinkle toes and just throws hissy fits. If, if, you know, if somebody doesn't see the greatness and whatever the fuck it is he's doing, but again, Pismo from me to you, fuck you. I got my brains beat out by fucking Cajuns and goddamn cowboys and everybody in between to try to protect the 
somewhat credibility of this crazy business. I'll be goddamn if some jack off like you come prancing in like a fucking video game character and start fucking having matches with blow up dolls. I know you probably brought it from home because you couldn't get a date on a tombstone. And most of the time, the only sexual partner you have is four fingers on Thumb Street. But still, fuck you. And I, I, he, they keep searching for another reason. It can't be all about wrestling. Yes, it is. Well, as I said, it's expanded. I think he's a complete twat in every way. But yeah, it is about wrestling. You disrespectful piece of shit. And the idea that people would say that you, and that you would try to engender that opinion that you, are the greatest wrestler of all time in a business that's held the funks and the steamboats and the flares and the blah, 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 blah. Fuck you. And I don't need to do this for money, and my rent's taken care of. Now, I do have several contractors that are dependent on me, but I think I'll, I think I'll make that too. Hey, the I'll SOG do does this. also. The SOG does too, over here. Well, yeah, there you go. But we'll, we'll make it, but we're going to do this, Kenny. Not for money, but for fun. Because anybody that's taken a massive shit and wiped it all over something that somebody cares about, that person needs to be talked about from time to time, and the general public needs to be reminded what a dipshit they are. And that's a service that we provide free of charge. So, there you go. Hey, can I say something to you, though? And and I, I guess now I've blown my opportunity for a personally autographed movie poster of Sissy Boy Slap Fight. Well, you never know. There's always eBay, but I wanted to say something to you. And please listen to me with... I was about to say open heart. Is that the word? No, just... Uh, with open ears. Open ears. You like barbecue. There's a lot of people that love barbecue. So you're telling me you want me to barbecue Kenny Olivia? That's not what I'm saying. Will you let me finish? Okay, I thought you were leading down that road. Okay, go ahead. But there's so many people throughout the country doing barbecue. Some of them are horrible people. But a lot of people just enjoying their food. Some people do awful things with their food. But most people don't. Most people are good people. My point is... I've heard that those people are called foodophiliacs. My point is... Video games are all right. They're not the problem. Don't blame video games for guys like this. No, I'm not. I play video games. There are great games, and you can play them and be normal. You don't have to be fucking human gutter balls. Hey, so hey, don't I blame loved, the video games. I loved Pong, and and what was Tetris was a favorite of mine. Playing the back seat of the car, and I don't want wrestling characters to be video game character. I, in other words, like I've said before, in, they made a UFC video game and they made the video game moves based on the fights. But now in wrestling, the wrestlers are taking moves from video games and making them wrestling moves. It's become video games are more important to the goddamn wrestlers than the profession that they're in. They've mistaken their hobby for their livelihood. And in the process, they've mucked up the whole goddamn thing. Because, as I mentioned, nobody sells in a video game unless you press the right button. But <laughs> in, a, in a fucking real altercation, if somebody hits you hard enough in the face, you're going down and not getting back up. Or there's going to be some blood spurting from somewhere. But that doesn't happen in video games unless they hit the right button. So now it doesn't happen in the wrestling matches either. Unless they really can't get back up. And here's Twat Boy over there, 
just having had everything from asshole to appetite operated on, surgically fixed, and he thinks he's a great worker. Fuck, he's not even 40. He may never, he can't wrestle at the same level again, may never wrestle again. Hopefully, we can always keep our fingers crossed. And he's torn his fucking body up, and this is a great worker? Fuck. I believe I'll, I'll and, and something you said a minute ago, Brian. So you really believe that old Twinkle Toes and the Young Bucks for the past five years or so have been actively trying to discredit me and to keep people from listening to me and to ruin my reputation. That's what you believe? I think it has been a concerted effort on their part to put out false narratives about you and try to do everything they can to stop you and your growing influence. And again, well, goddamn, if that's the case, I need to send them a check. Because if they've been working that hard for the past five years and everything that we have done has continued to go up and up and up, well, these are the best partners that money could buy. I need to send them a healthy check to keep trying to discredit me because apparently nobody believes anything that they say because they have failed spectacularly. For the record, that check's going to come out of your share. Just want to make sure I put that out there. All right. Well, also, I'm going to sign it Peter Rabbit, so it's not going to go too far. Well, listen, we've talked about this for a while. I'm going to save it for the drive-thru. But one wrestler, apparently, you never know. You never know if it's a work or not, but apparently came out and did say some public comments about Kenny Omega, and that's Will Ospreay, a guy that a lot of people consider the best wrestler in the world, which probably bothers (laughs) Kenny Omega. So we can save it for the drive-thru if you want, or we can do it here. It's up to you. Well, let's let's save it there because I'm tired of twinkle toes. And and on the drive-thru this week also, we've got a special talk with the legal side of wrestling with Stephen P. New, that'll be on the drive-thru, and we'll talk about Ostrich, because I just got a chance to read some of his comments, and I don't know whether they're working. It, it doesn't seem like they're working, uh, or, or that Ostrich is working about Harpo, because he's not that good a worker. He sounds like he really dislikes the guy, and I believe that. Uh, but, you know, you never know with these people. But Let me give a little tease. Right before we go to Raycon, let me give a little tease of what's coming up on the drive-thru. Here's a quote from Will Ospreay that I probably have to bleep on YouTube. The worst thing is people are going to listen and be like, they're building to something. We're not building up to anything. He's a cunt. I will slap that boy and remind him, you're a fucking 40-year-old man and you're fucking fragile. Do you really want to get with me? I will end you. (laughs) So there was plenty of love in the air between Ostrich and Harpo. And for the, just for the record, in case anybody's taking notes, neither one of them are the greatest wrestler in the history of the world. Come on. Have we all lost our fucking rabbit-ass minds? That's right. Don't forget about Richard Belzer. Well, yeah, there you go. He took a, a mighty fine bump. He took one on the show, too, as well as the ones in the locker room before the show. But and- nevertheless... <laughs> I was what, I, what? If you you got the transition or I got it, but there's so many different options here. <laughs> but there is so many bumps that you can take <laughs> with your Raycon earbuds, because now they're not just every day anymore. No, they've got the brand new Raycon fitness earbuds that will help you take your workout to the next level. The power of premium sound and smart tech. And everybody knows this tech these days is a lot smarter than we are. So 
You'll learn something every time you stick the Raycon Fitness earbuds in your ear and you listen to the smart stuff that they're talking about, you learn something. And you believe everything that the control voice tells you. As a matter of fact, some of the Raycon Fitness earbuds come with a special built-in soundtrack that will speak to you whether you're asleep or working out or whatever and teach you how to modify your behavior and teach you things like at the sound of the 12 o'clock whistle every day, you will withdraw several thousand dollars from your bank account and mail it to P.O. Box 740. Stop, 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 stop. Stuff Let's, like that. And it, and it not works. Stuff like you that. listen to this stuff over and over and you learn things and you assimilate information in your head. And there, there's also been late tonight, you will meet a truck at the corner of Fifth and Main. Okay, it will you take stop? you to where the pods are being dropped off. All right. And then sh- you go and you see the big bean pods. Anyway, the Raycon fitness earbuds, <laughs> they deliver maximum comfort, stability, and the most secure fit on the market. We've talked about the problem when you're working out with earbuds. You get ear sweat in your ears. You get ear gangrene. Sometimes people have to have their ears amputated. And that's why you see people walking down the street all the time, either with a hat drawn down over their head or those new big bulky headphones that they have to wear to cover up for the fact they have no ears. That way you can't tell with the Raycons, there's no problem because there is a special ear sweat eradicator that keeps you from getting the ear rot that leads to ear gangrene. And they've the new ear stabilizer attachments create three layers of earbud personalization. And so you can actually personalize these earbuds. You can put a name on them. You can call them Joe or Tom or Tits, whatever the case. They offer unbeatable battery life, nine hours of playtime and 52 hours of battery total. The bad thing is you're working out after nine hours. You're going to have a fucking stroke, but you're not allowed to stop your workout until these batteries run down. And that could be up to 52 hours. But the customers love them. They've gotten over 37,000 five-star reviews. How could that be? These are new. I guess if Raycon earbuds In history, yes. In history, yes. They wouldn't lie. No. With Raycon, you get top-of-the-line earbud functionality and high-quality sound at half the price of the other premium audio brands. And right now, if you go to buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com slash J-C-E, You can get the Raycon Fitness Earbuds for $20 off. And to make the deal sweeter, listen up. Extra information. You may need to jot this down. Get your pen and paper. My listeners are going to get an extra 15% off with the code JCE15, but that's a limited time offer. So I know I've hit you with a lot of information, folks. Once again, Go to your bank accounts, withdraw a large amount of cash, send it to Cornette's Stop, stop. Don't even joke about that. It can cause all sorts of trouble. Stop it. Sorry. No, this information is you go to buyraycon.com slash JCE and you get $20 off the fitness earbuds. And if you use the code JCE15, you get an extra 15% off. And uh, again, they can't do this all day, so good Lord and heavens almighty, jump on this now because I think with the $20 off and the 15% with the code JCE15 at buyraycon.com slash JCE, they're going to they're gonna send you earbuds and a small check. They're going to owe you money for taking these earbuds. I can't really do the math off the top of my head, but I think you'll come out ahead on this deal. So anyway, 
Your workouts are going to be great. You can also, and as a matter of fact, you can have sex while listening to the fitness earbuds. Any kind of cardio works. So, and especially if you're not enamored of your partner, put something in there that will get you in the mood and she'll think that you're just happy with her. Well, hold on. No one needs your sex advice, but let's just stress you could use these earbuds even when you're not doing fitness activities. Well, you can. You can do anything you want to do. But stay off of your blue suede shoes. But why would you, why would you want to get fitness earbuds and then not either work out or fuck? Well, Mr. Perkins, what I'm saying is maybe after you're done with your workout, you want to just sit down and fuck. Close your eyes. <laughs> after you, you've never worked out, so you don't know. Sometimes you don't want to fuck right That's after your workout. To the fucking yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> and there was more time left. But look at me now and look at all of my contemporaries. Everybody else looks like a goddamn Hindenburg, a giant fucking weather balloon. And I'm slim, trim, and svelte. It's the fucking? Must be that fucking fucking. And the music. And the music on the earbuds that you get, regardless of what purpose you want them for, from buyraycon.com slash JCE. No ear gangrene here. That's their motto. No ear gangrene from Raycon. Well, the WWE is more vulnerable now, in a bigger predicament now than in the past 30 years since Vince was indicted by the government. And so let's see what the opposition in this vulnerable time for the industry leader is putting on television to counter this and to to make waves and to take over the wrestling business while Vince is hanging by his fingertips from the edge of the precipice, right? Let's see what they decide to put on television this past Wednesday night on their flagship national cable television program to strike while the iron is hot, take over the wrestling business, and make a big name for themselves. You want to? Do I want to what? Do you want to look at this show, the AEW program? Yeah, I think maybe you left off the first part of the question because I don't even know where that came from. I said, do you want to look at what the opposition is putting on while oh, the, I guess you the, did. the big boy is vulnerable? Isn't it funny? The big boy's getting in trouble for all these big boy things. And a week ago, everyone was losing their mind over Tony hugging people. <laughs> but yes, let's talk about dynamite. Hey, yeah. T- Tony at least hugs out in the open where everybody can see it and take a picture of it. Vince hugs behind boardroom doors. Uh, but... <sighs> Let me ask you a question, Brian. Do you remember the last couple of weeks we've talked about AEW television? I usually try to put it out of my mind pretty immediately after it happens. But who have we not mentioned on the pro- on the reviews of the program over the past at least two weeks? Who have we not mentioned who's been on the show? No, who have we not mentioned that is affiliated, is in the AEW universe that we have not even mentioned or talked about in the last couple of shows. CM Punk? No. MJF. MJF. The only thing we've said is, yeah, we miss MJF, but about, what was it? I've lost track of the number of weeks since the fire me, you fucking Mark promo. But we said the week after that, well, let's see what the next step is. Let's see, how can he, show back up and they still maintain the look of a shoot. It's legitimate, but he's the hottest talking topic in wrestling now. And everybody's going crazy over this and they got to keep the momentum. They don't want to wait too long. 
it's it's had to have been a month, nothing, no comment on him. He doesn't show up and buy a ticket and sit in the crowd with his blackberry scarf on, or is it blueberry? Which scarf does he have? Burberry. Which well, one of those beds. He's you know he's a he's a, a vegetarian <laughs> MJF, and also he loves fruit. What? So. And so he's got all the, the fruits and the vegetables there. The blueberry scarf, the blackberry scarf, the burberry scarf. He's got scarves for all occasion. Point is, it they're losing it. They're losing the momentum. They've lost the m- momentum, and they're losing the buzz. And what the fuck? And somebody needs, and Punk's hurt. MJF is, we know he was pissed off. We know what happened. We know there was elements of works and shoots, but something better happen for the good of that program because Punk can't come back and save it. He's injured. MJF, Christian's doing the best he can, but he's only one man, Captain. They need to get MJF moving back into the fucking starting lineup because this thing is getting dreary, and this is exactly the point. Vince, the whole family's on vacation. The doors and windows are wide open and the neighbors have turned their backs. Now is the time to assault Titan Tower. But instead, they're assaulting our sensibilities with their television program. They were in Rochester, New York this past Wednesday night. Do you know why Rochester stands out to me, Brian Last? Uh, Gorilla Monsoon. No. Rochester, New York is the very first place I ever had a chicken wing. 1989, TBS, WCW, they're starting to run towns that Crockett had never been to, trying to chase Vince around the country, going to a lot of places that (laughs) didn't want to see WCW. Rochester, New York was one of them, but the restaurant across the street from the hotel we fly in early. We're starving, me in the midnight. We go across the street, get something to eat, sit down. And on the menu, it says chicken wings. And this was 1989. And now, I've later on, since I found out that I love them so much, I found out, you know, the Anchor Bar in Buffalo was the original Buffalo wing. They took some wings and fried them and flipped them in the sauce and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, we've also come to find out that the Anchor Bar wings are just basically Tabasco and fucking wings, and it's in a shitty part of town. But I said, what the fuck can a chicken wing be? And so I ordered some, and I mean, I knew what a chicken wing was, obviously, on the bird, but I'd never seen one fixed before. Because have people, have we just accepted the fact now that wings have always been around, like, all you know, if you watch the history of the food that built America on the History Channel. I didn't realize that most of these chain restaurants and genres of restaurants that I like to eat at and have for most of my life didn't exist until I was like 12 or 13 years old. You know, I recently read a book by Bobby Valentine, the former New York Mets manager, and he had a very interesting life. He still does. And he had a bunch of restaurants. And he lays claim... I believe in the early 80s that his restaurant in Connecticut invented the wrap. And it's such a crazy thing when you think about it, but then you're like, well, someone had to invent it, and they kind of weren't wraps before a certain point in time. <laughs> and it's weird when you think, like, my kids are going to grow up, and their entire life, there's going to be wraps. They're going to know what those are, and at some point in my life, they were invented. 
That's exactly correct. And they used to throw the chicken wings away. And now they're the highest priced piece of the chicken. Anyway, that, so that was Rochester, New York to me. And that'll be more interesting, that story, than the recount of the television program. On this topic, I'm not a big wings guy. What do I, what am I missing? What do I not what? get? Well, okay, you can't. The people who make wings, like especially the pizza places that make wings in the pizza oven, which is not the way you do it, they're chewy, they're not the the skin isn't crisp, or they're not meaty. You got a, a wide variety of wings out there. But you get the fat ones and they're deep fried, so the skin's crispy, but yet the inside is succulent and moist, and then you you don't dump the sauce all over them and just make them swim in it, but you put the sauce on and you flip them in the bowl and you spin them. As a matter of, that's what makes, uh, I think, the lube, the Quaker steak and lube wings so good is they have like a, a raffle thing that they spin the wing in and it gets all covered with the sauce and then you got the garlic parm or you got the, the uh, spicy garlic or you got the, you know, your levels of hot or medium or mild or you got, you can go all kinds of ways. You can go Asian. What do you do? I love at Quaker Steak and Lube. I love the uh, the black pepper and Parmesan wings that are not spicy at all, but they're very tasty. And then I like the spicy garlic if I want to go a little spicy. I like uh, it. Just depends. And then smoked wings are a whole different thing. You go down to like Memphis to Corky's or here at Martin's Barbecue in any Kentucky or Tennessee location. They have smoked wings. And mm, those with a little Memphis dry rub on those instead of any sauce at all, you know, I'm just telling you. Well, you're talking about all these places that you like and their wings. So if Rochester was the first time in the NWA that you saw wings, when was the second time? Did it start popping up everywhere quickly on the menu? Actually, well, then I noticed at Chili's because Chili's, I think, just started as a chain in the early 80s. I didn't realize well, there was one in Charlotte was the first time I ever saw one. And I didn't realize they were all over the country, but they started coming out with a wing and even though it's still Chili's, they're not necessarily, you know, award-winning wings. Hey, come on, two-for-one drinks. Well, the drinks are different than the wings. Chickens don't drink very much. I know, but a few of those two-for-one drinks and the wings taste a lot better than they would have otherwise. Well, and you ought to see when they do drink too much, those drunk cluckers, they cause a mess. But anyway, and then wings started popping up everywhere. And then there became wing places and wing contests and everybody's got a wing now. You want to talk about AEW now? Let's talk about Tony Khan's wing of the uh, asylum. He was winging it all right. All right, Wardlow was first, and he got a big pop, and he looks great, and the people are loving him. But this was a TNT title match, the TV title, and also a street fight. As you'll remember last week, Scorpio Sky said, and it's going to be a street fight. For apropos of nothing, there was no thing that happened that necessitated it be a street fight. So when they come out, here comes Wardlow. He's dressed in his tights, in his gear, which he should be. He looks great that way, but he ain't dressed for a street fight. And then here comes Scorpio Sky with the other page and Lambert and half dozen miscellaneous MMA shooters. And Sky's not dressed for a street fight. He's in his gear. So why do the gimmick or advertise the gimmick if you're not going to do the gimmick? This could have been, and of course, they'd had to be no DQ because the way they set the match up, 
But it could have been a no disqualification match. Then we could have just said lazy booking. But they advertised a street fight, and then there were not only. And here's the thing again. Every match on AEW television, people are fucking using furniture, chairs and tables, kendo sticks, barbed wire, broken glass, thumbtacks, flaming skewers and shish kebabs, whatever the case. This is a street fight. They weren't dressed for a street fight, and there was not one gimmick used in the match. So anyway, Wardlow has so much charisma. Are you looking, now that he's getting confidence, are you seeing the way he's looking at the people and he milks them with an eye glance and he fires up and he's got the facials and everything? He's, that's confidence. He's, he's getting it. Yeah, beyond the booking, the only problem I see with Wardlow right now is the hair. And may well they could do something about that. It's hair. You can cut it. He can get a manscaped package. But anyway, he looks like a beast. And at one point, Scorpio Sky sold a kick or gave him a kick to the nuts, and Wardlow sold it for like five seconds, and then Northern Lights suplexed the guy. But I see what you mean. Wardlow has all of his charisma and Scorpio Sky's too. Sky's a, he's a good athlete, and I've I've liked his work in the past, but now after three years, there's I mean, it seems like he should have come along, and instead they've just kind of buried him. Well, buried no. him in plain sight. Well, yeah, it's kind of like that because within three years, without any fan support, really, without anyone really clamoring for a big push, he's gotten the tag team titles, first tag team champion, TNT title, now a few reigns. And people just couldn't wait to see Wardlow kill him and Lambert and get all of these guys off their TV. Yeah. And that's what he did. Uh, they managed to drag it out through a break by having the Stooges on the floor distract Wardlow and Scorpio posting him. But then as soon as they come back, again, remember I said every every time they go to commercial, there's the heels heat. Three minutes of shit that nobody sees. And when they come back, the baby face is coming back again. These heels are getting shorted. But anyway, from the break, they come back. Wardlow hits a swanton off the top rope and brought the fucking house down. They love him. And then at that point, then the no DQ comes in because they want the spot where all the shooters run in and obviously feed for bumps off of Wardlow. And... Again, it's so obvious. I know the people are popping and they're liking it, but you could try. You could put the effort into trying to make it less obvious that they're running in there with their chins stuck out for him to fucking nail, right? It can be done. It just requires a little pre-planning and maybe a walkthrough with the green talent involved. But he bumps everybody and then Sky hits him with the title belt and gets a two count. And then Wardlow just shoves Sky into Lambert, gives him a bump, drops the straps, which that's getting over. So now the strap drop, Lawler has a a, a, a torch to pass to the strap drop. Powerbomb, place blue, powerbomb, place blue, powerbomb, foot on chest, one, two, three. So that was perfect. It didn't last uh, egregiously long. It was what it needed to be. Wardlow gets over. We said bet the farm on him winning. Thankfully, that happened. And why was this a street fight? What are your thoughts? AEW uses gimmick matches as just throwaway TV enticements. 
it's not going away. It's only gotten worse. They only have more and more gimmick matches, it seems, every single week on the show. Beyond that, this is something that should have happened a month ago or whatever, two months ago, right after the pay-per-view. The fans have not wanted to see any of this Dan Lambert stuff. I hope Tony does the right thing and says, okay, you know, let's move on now. I fear that he won't because he actually likes Dan as a person. <laughs> so that usually <laughs> means you get to stay around as long as you like. But I think people are ready to move on and do something else with Wardlow. And he's now the TNT champion. No more excuses. Now's the time you got to really fucking do something with him. And I wonder what that'll be. Hmm. Anyway, so we're not doing too bad so far. And here comes Christian Cage with Dino Douche. But here comes Christian Cage. And he was a paragon of sartorial resplendency once again, looking like a fucking movie villain in all black street clothes. The explanation was about to be made as to why did Dino stay with him when he turned on Jungle Boy and Christian, it was just a short little promo he did. And then he teased that line. And why did Dino stay with me? And the music was late. They, in the truck, they blew the music cue and there's Christian standing there. And he's like, and just as he started to talk again, they got it. But here comes Matt Hardy. And I wanted more Christian promo because that's been the highlight of the past couple of weeks. But here comes Matt. And Matt, Jungle Boy was my friend. And I'm like, is he dead? Did we miss news? Did he, you know, drown in a boating accident? What's going on? Jungle Boy was my friend. I know they beat him up, but at this point. Yeah, where the hell is he? Why is he Where is he? Yeah. So. Hardy was defending Jungle Boy and (laughs) saying that he regrets when he cheated people like Private Party and this guy and that guy. So basically the babyface comes out to take up for Jungle Boy and talks about how bad he feels that he did the same thing that the heel is doing to a bunch of more people. Uh, But they needed a reason to have this promo. And then at least Christian gets to come back with your, basically you make your brother sound like the sober one and big ooze and an asshole chant. And they they tried to joust back and forth. And let's face it, because of Matt had no leg to stand on with any of this, Christian is just blowing everybody away verbally, and he did here too. And said Hardy was an embarrassment to his family. And then Dino headbutts Matt, and they go to the floor, and they choke slam Matt Hardy through a table. So this wasn't a bad segment because Christian was in it, but I would have liked to have heard him t- speak a little longer. And, you know, boy, it's a horrible thing that they did to Matt Hardy, choke slamming him through a table like they've done to at least a dozen people in the last two months. So therefore, why do we remember this? This is number 12. Let's mark that one down, boys. That's the one we need to remember, the 12th one. Or was it 13? I'm, I can't remember. It's just another thing they do. What'd you think? I've liked Christian Cage's heel run so far. The only thing I'm afraid of is if it always becomes, I'm going to say something shocking. Then to me, it's almost like, yeah, I used to be another guy and then MJF left. So I'm now stealing his gimmick. (laughs) Just be evil and be a heel. You don't always have to say the shocking thing, but hopefully it doesn't become a permanent thing, but I've liked it so far. 
him and Matt will be happy. They'll get to do something together. I think that's oh, but is this is that out. the best use of what what can Christian Cage teach Matt Hardy working with him? I Nothing. Actually, I think you whatever whether it's Matt Hardy or someone else. I actually think in the long run, in the short run, in terms of good TV, in terms of good wrestling TV, if you just had Christian Cage come out there every week for a month, cut a promo, and have Luchasaurus kill someone in thirty seconds, it would be a lot more effective to getting somewhere. And I'm assuming that's the Jungle Boy return than, you know, a mini feud with Matt Hardy who needs to do something because his brother's out of action. Yeah, and again, I said, what can Christian... Because I'm thinking Christian Cage getting a few wins over a few of the young folks on the roster that ain't going to hurt them because he's a star and he could teach them something. But conversely, if it's going to be Matt Hardy working with, with Dino Douche... Do you think Dino Douche is teachable? Can Matt teach him? Is Matt too far gone these days with the teleportation and the ice machine bat pole to the bat cave or whatever and his physical condition? He could probably teach some kind of timing and or patience and or basics to Old Dino, if in the old days, can he do it now and will Dino listen? Is Dino teachable? It seems like if he was trainable, coachable, teachable, or it was possible for him to learn, we'd be seeing a different dinosaur because he's been doing this now, what, almost 10 years. And this is the first time we've seen him as a heel. So I'm going to give him a little bit of a leeway here. We only saw, what, one match where he took a little while to beat up the very scary Well, yeah, but, but if, you, if you switch heel, that doesn't automatically raise your IQ points 50 notches no but, and if, he, but the someone, biggest thing about him is not his athleticism it's that he's an idiot that doesn't understand how a big guy ought to work and he tries to do all these stupid flips and kicks that he can't do or that looks like a fucking flying bus instead of being a monster and you take that away from him if you give him firmly if tony says listen 30 seconds that's it that's all you need go kill that guy in 30 seconds he can't do all that stuff when you True. give these guys time they try to fill up the time with every flip <laughs> they've ever done. Uh, well, speaking of giving people some time, guess who was back? The butcher and the baker and the bunny. We got them all three in the same place at the same time, and they were against Keith Lee and Old Swerve. Well, it was their hometown, I believe, right? Aren't they from up there? Uh, yeah, from up there? The home of the wings? Um, Yeah, whatever. So it was a tag match, and Lee and Swerve won, as they should. And I've long since tired of looking at the butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker. But I skipped to the finish because the match wasn't important. Here comes Hobbs and Starks. The team, the guys that we never get to see wrestle, that we want to see. The guys that can talk, that never get a chance to hardly. The guys that could be breakout stars, but they're hidden amongst a sea of trampoline cowboys. So here comes Hobbs and Starks on the PA, and Hobbs was talking, and he can. He sounded like he meant what he was saying. And then Starks takes over and blows that out of the water and just tears him up on the microphone talking about old Lee and Swerve. And Starks was hot, and he was up. And I'm like, can we see this match anytime? Lee and Swerve and Starks and Hobbs. You know, that would be great. And 
the whole thing was Starks is promo and Lee and Hobbs. We're going to find out who's the best tag team, who's the best tag team. And then suddenly the music plays and here comes the Hardly Boys. And by the way, is it a rib or did they intend for it to be that their entrance music is what they play at football games when the cheerleaders come out? <laughs> I don't know about that. It is, that is that's it right i don't i don't remember what the music was i've seen that on tv when the cheerleaders come out and do the the cartwheels and the roundoffs and everything is it a rib or it's it's apropos anyway so in their childish pretend wrestler way the hardly boys take this thing over and they take credit for starting the company let us not forget about that. And then they act like because the, they beat the other teams because they were better and not because they just reminded us that they started the company and they're fucking executives. So that kind of negates when they say, and we beat so-and-so and say, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you did because you're the fucking bosses. So they tried to set up a three-way tag for next week with the Hardly Boys and Lee and Swerve and Hobbs and Starks. And as soon as they started even trying to lean into a three-way with the other two teams before they had said it, the fans started chanting, FTR, FTR. Yes, they wanted to see Lee and Swerve against Hobbs and Starks against FTR. They didn't want to see the Hardly Boys involved in this. Oh, it's better than that. It wasn't about we want to see FTR versus one of these other teams. It was just, we prefer FTR and we're going to yeah. let you know it. Yeah, and when they were trying to say, we're the best tag team, FTR, FTR from the whole building, even their own fans have smartened up to this now. Smarmy, smug, little grinny pricks that don't look like they could whip cream with an outboard motor that are constantly trying to fucking get their friends' jobs and hold down or suppress the quality talent in the company because they don't like to get showed up. And now the fans in their own building are hooting them out of the building, chanting for a team that they don't want in this three-way tag team match. So next week, it's the Hardleys against Starks and Hobbs against Swerve and Lee. And if there was any sense involved in this booking then the only team that would not be in the running or in contention or in consideration to win that match would be the hardly boys i would put starks and hobbs over but swerve and lee would make sense as well but let's see who wins it probably the only team that shouldn't that's what i'm betting on Based on the way it's been booked and based on Tony's previous booking, I would actually think Heath Lee and Swerve would win the match and the belts, right? It's a tag title match. The only thing that makes me not think that is just everyone's assuming the buildup is right now towards FTR and the Young Bucks eventually meeting for all the belts. It wouldn't be a wise move to take the belts off the Bucks before then, would it? Well, no, it would not, but that's not going to be the move to begin with. Because I guarantee you that the next FTR and Bucks match will be the Bucks winning all the belts and the, and the rubber match, the two out of three. Not the team that the company's most ardent fans are chanting for in the arenas at the top of their lungs, 
but the EVPs that actually go home and cry and pout and complain if people don't call them the best tag team in the world. They're going to have to prove it. And since they have the power to tell the other teams that they will play along, I believe that's what will happen. If they have that match, the third match at one and one, the Bucks will win the rubber match and they'll win all the belts so that they can say, look, we are the greatest tag team in the history of wrestling. We got all the belts from all of these companies that don't do any big, big business anymore. Well, hold on. Let me ask you something, though. Thinking about where we are today and knowing that Tony Khan is someone that looks at data. He looks at what merch sales are. He looks at who moves the ratings. He looks at, I'm sure, who gets announced on a show and when tickets get sold. Looks at everything. Whatever you want to say about him, this is a guy that fills his mind with data about his company. So he can't deny, and I'm sure he's aware of what's going on with FTR. He sat next to them at that press conference. He's heard the fans. He's right there. He hears what's going on. It's an organic thing. And AEW hasn't had too many organic things that have actually taken off. Tony Khan could put his foot down and say, you know what? Letting the Bucks win that match with FTR, the third match for all the belts, would be the worst thing I could do and the wrong thing I could do for my company and my fans. Even if these guys expect that for one reason or another. Tony Khan could do that, and I'm not going to discount that he could because I think he's smart enough to see what's happening. Well, he could, but you know what means more to Tony Khan than statistics and data? What's that? Playmates. His friends. The, the people that he hugs and he's so personally happy that they came to work for him for a large amount of money. That means more. And, and they, will, they will hug him and they will kiss him and they will call him George and they will say, well, this, this you know, is what we need to do because we're the tag team experts, you know, Tony. Hide and watch. They'll figure out some way. They will figure out some way to, despite any business sense to the contrary, and no matter how visually ridiculous and how repulsive it is to legitimate fans of wrestling, they will figure out some way the Hardly Boys will to have all those belts so they can take that picture and and tell people that they're the greatest wrestlers of all time, which is like fucking Vince putting the belt on himself and saying, I'm the greatest wrestler of all time. Because he can, he could, it wouldn't be smart, but it could happen. One more thing I want to say here, Starks and Hobbs. I've been raving about them for a while. Yeah. It's not even about the in-ring stuff anymore. Them on the mic, them as personalities. Do more with them. There's so much time on this show. It worked here. Forget about the whole Bucks thing and the whole angle, but just them coming out for only a couple yes. minutes and being heated and yelling and you see them like that. But get them on the show more often doing promos. Just a five-minute match to win and cut a promo and, and establish themselves. It's ridiculous. And then we see people every week for no apparent reason. Um, Tony Schiavone was in the ring with Eddie Kingston. Did you... I like Kingston, Kingston's promos, and he, he was pretty good here. Uh, with it, just his attitude and et cetera, it didn't, you know, go too far too long, but the promo was okay. But then did you catch 
How many seconds do you think it was from the time that Eddie Kingston first mentioned Chris Jericho's name until Chris Jericho's face popped up on the screen? Oh, it was a lot quicker than the amount of time Ruby Riot had to move her hand out of the door, I think. Oh, boy. How, <laughs> I was wondering if you saw that one. So Kingston's doing this promo that Tony Schiavone is conducting allegedly off the top of his head. Nobody knows what he's going to say. He's expressing himself. And within seconds, I'm talking less than five, after he mentions Chris Jericho's name, Jericho pops up on the video screen. He's in the back parking area of the building with the rest of the Jericho appreciators. And they've got Ruby Soho in a compromising position down in front of a car. And there's old Ty Cunty. And she's screaming at Ruby, get up, get up. And Ruby Soho gets up, leans against the car sticks her right arm in inside the open door opening of the car. And then as Ty Conti goes to slam the car door, Ruby is looking at the car door and puts her other arm out like, oh, please don't slam that door on my arm, which I'm holding immobile here. And she gets the door slammed on her arm. I hope she's and, okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> Hope the car's okay. <laughs> but uh, why was this? It could kill the car battery, that door being open so long. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it does put a drain on those diehards. Are are Eddie Kingston and Ruby Soho a, a romantic couple? Are they friends? Have they had any interaction? Why did they pick Ruby Soho to, to attack to get under Eddie Kingston's skin? She's probably training with Ty Conti. No, they've established a little bit in those videos, those vignette videos that obviously you haven't watched and they don't show that often, that she's friends with Eddie Kingston. And I think in the past, she's tried to like talk him out of doing crazy things and they have a good friendship. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I very well could be, but he wasn't in front of the camera all night. Was Chris Jericho there or was this a pre-tape in the back? It may, may marry well or may very well. Have been a pre-tape because that's right. He didn't appear, but goddamn, let Eddie Kingston talk about the guy for 30 seconds, 40 seconds. And then if he pops up on the screen, then it's not just so obvious that the director was waiting to patch that video in until the first mention of Chris Jericho's name. It just comes off phony. They couldn't even play the music cue that was worked out ahead of time that quick in the first segment. There's not an angle you could do with Eddie Kingston that would be as effective as him having three minutes or two minutes or one minute to go out there and just explain why he doesn't like Chris Jericho and what he's going to do to him. Just what am I going to do to him? Three weeks yeah. of that would be better than all of a sudden another weird, goofy Chris Jericho angle in the back and no one's safe in the back, let alone this poor woman that was abducted <laughs> by Jericho and his friends and awful. All right, well, we're going to pick up speed because things started going downhill rapidly at this point. And, of course, they're in Rochester, New York. Here comes the dork order with negative one. I'm not knocking this kid. It's, it's Brody Lee's hometown. I understand what they're trying to do. Give the kid a thrill. The fans want to see something, but... The dork order needs to have been replaced, eliminated a long time ago. 
broken down into its parts. And if anybody in the group was salvageable, shave their head, put take a mask off, put a mask on, give them some other different kind of look, get the stench off of them, go from there. But the fucking dork order and with the kid, a child, it's so amateur. Again, I said, when my dad died, the publisher of the Courier Journal did not invite me to the fucking executive board meetings. When an NBA player passes away, do they let his children play in a regular season game? There's respect and there's remembering people we've lost and whatever. And then there's the visual of that. They not only I couldn't watch this. I skipped through it, but they not only brought QT Marshall out to be a fall guy. They, they involved Adam page who I guess who gives a shit. He's not the world champion anymore. So he can go back to the job guys, but they had at least broken him out of that. Now, right. It's right back. They let the kid do a promo on the microphone that you could barely hear because he's 10 years old or whatever. This whole thing was obviously fake visually. It's preposterous. It's amateur hour. And Say what you want about the WWE. They do stupid shit, but goddamn, it looks like network television. This looked like cable access, and it's sad and fake. And the only good thing I can say about it is they finished it up right before the top of the hour, so Jim Ross made his entrance and didn't have to fucking call this because he was in a good mood, and if he'd have seen this, I'm afraid that would have changed. My favorite part was the Dark Order coming out and the one guy getting on the mic and saying, we're here to stay. And then you start counting like, well, several of you aren't. Yeah. There's a a few of you that have vanished actually in the last few weeks. It's, it's awkward to even talk about, but it's not comfortable to watch that on a wrestling show and, you know, do whatever you want in the building, continue to honor Brody Lee and and having his son involved in one way or another, but it does, I think, make viewers at home sometimes feel a little awkward to watch a kid participating. Um, You know, they just turned the show over to a kid, really. That's all it was. And, and, you know, so many things, one of the things that Uncle Dave's been saying for 30 years that I do agree with, and the thing that a lot of people have said, he's not a savant either. This is, a lot of people have observed this, is that generally, over the last 40 years since Vince started his expansion and and whatever the case, or even beforehand with promotional wars of any kind, generally the people pick the program, the show, the promotion, the, the entity that looks more major league rather than even the one that has the best content. And it's, it's night and day with this, television pro when you've got CM Punk out there or you've got you know some of their name recognizable name mainstream wrestling celebrities or some of the really good workers you get what looks like a as we've said many times a first class high quality major league looking wrestling show but on the same program you get the outlaws or the fucking indie goofs or children playing and it looks worse than minor league it looks cable access and this is not the time 
with Vince so vulnerable to be putting on bullshit shows that any average viewer is going to say, well, they're, they're just, they're not even serious. And this is just kids. Who is this? It's, it's wrestling cosplay. (sighs) But then Jr. comes out and by gum, he was upbeat, wasn't he? It was was like a whole new guy. Yeah. seemed like other than Rick Knox and he deserved it. Like a brand new guy. Well, I think he's probably taken the criticisms to heart that, (laughs) and you can't blame him. I mean, I can't imagine. That's what Jim Ross told me at the last Charlotte Fan Fest that I attended, which was back in, well, when did AEW go on the air? 2019, right? I believe so. Okay. The Charlotte Fan Fest was about six weeks before they debuted. And that's the last time I saw JR in person because of the pandemic and blah, blah, blah. And I haven't left the house and don't intend to. But I said, JR, I said, do you know what you're going to be calling? Do you know what you're going to be seeing and looking at? I don't trust a number of the people involved in this. I've, I've, that's why I said to Tony when I said, well, yeah, who you're in business with. I said, the Bucks can't be serious. Twinkle Toes can't be serious. I hadn't named him that then. I said, they, they can't be serious. And Tony Khan himself told me that nobody was going to book that show but himself, but him. So you know what you're getting. He said, oh, corny. You know, it's going to be a great gig. And they got some talent. It's going to be. He was, he money. was optimistic. There's lots of money. Did I mention the I money? He, he was happy with his money. But no, he was optimistic. Oh, yeah. He loves to announce. It's not about the money. It's about and, the money. And he was, but he was legitimately like, well, wonder, you know, it's going to be a new show and a blah, blah, blah. He was somewhat looking forward to it. And I've got to think that with what he's had to be out there and see and actually had to call or sometimes try to just ignore, it's got to have gotten to him to where he's like, well, fuck, I thought they were serious. I thought this was going to go somewhere. I didn't think this was going to be embarrassing. But, you know, it was like like Punk said with the WWE, he didn't want to be another another guy doing bad television. He got on here and was doing good television. But the television in the other segments outside his control is still bad TV. And now poor JR, you can't, the announcer has no control over how good or bad the show is. They just have to sit there and call what they see. And that's why I've, you know, realized there's almost no way to avoid as an announcer getting some on you. You're going to see something that you're going to have to be professional and try not to pick apart. I but think nevertheless, this, I think this is a good idea. If Jim Ross comes out for just the second hour for a few reasons, one gets a pop stays fresh, seems to be in a pleasant mood. The other thing that this all came from is the idea that Taz is now out there for the whole show. And it has actually helped. Even when the bad stuff's happening, Taz being on commentary helps. And I think it helps Jim Ross because part of the problem is when it's something really bad that Jim Ross would shit on off air and sometimes on air, but that Jim Ross would not like that you wouldn't like when it's something bad, he'll get quieter. Excalibur and Shivani keep the energy level up about how great it is and all this is going on, all this. And Jim Ross, how's he supposed to jump in? What's he supposed to do there? With Taz, there's better chemistry. 
Because Shivani wasn't adding much. Shivani was just yelling right. shit. But with Taz, you have someone who could be conversational with Jim Ross and pull him in. And makes a comment that then JR can answer in an uh, intelligent yeah. and or reflective fashion, etc. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. Well, it's because guess what? Actually experienced professional announcers. Who would have thought? Taz has a bunch of experience. I think JR's done this a time or two. Tony took 20 years off. He's just happy to be there. But he's fine as the interviewer. I mean, that's what we've always said. That's the perfect role for him. I mean, when you think of TBS wrestling, do you think of Shivani's commentary with David Crockett or him standing there with the microphone? Yeah. And actually, I don't, well, Tony's not a good interviewer anymore because you can't be a good interviewer because most of the people won't even let the interviewers still hold the microphone for him. So, and, uh, all right, let's move ahead. The next match, Penthouse. Accompanied by Felix and Alex, came out from behind his tombstone and went to the ring, and here comes the debut of Rush. But they were calling him Roosh. But it's spelled R-U-S-H. So, and he came out with Andre Oleolio. It's one of those guys you read his name in the Observer for years, and you think it's Russian. Yeah. Oh, Roosh? Yeah. Oh. And then Roosh? <laughs> And I don't know how they managed to, how he managed to talk anybody into calling him Roosh on American television. But he he came out wearing a bull mask with horns and stripper pants. See, he's going to fit right in. And it's Penthouse versus Roosh. So I said, okay, I'm I've never seen Roosh. I don't think. So I'm going to give this a second. So. Before the first bump, they gave each other 20 chops, did some sloppy reversals, and then a super kick, and the guy took a bump. And then they went out to the floor and started doing some square dancing. And then it became a typical modern lucha match, moves back and forth, no logic, no shine, no heat, no face, no heel. I gave up. And basically the finish was that somehow Russian Roosh nutshotted the guy, pulled his mask off, and small-packaged him all pretty much at the same time, except it wasn't a small package because he either doesn't know how to do a small package or he missed the guy's head because Penthouse was trying to cover his face up. He was in a roosh. He was in a roosh. <laughs> he was rooshing. <laughs> you ought to slow down. But anyway, so he won, and yeah. But then we got some good... Uh, did you watch this at all? Who cares? Nobody cares, right? I watched it, but nobody cares, so you can move Okay. On. Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt and old Satnam Singe did another backstage pre-tape. I guess they just had them come in and do eight 30-second pre-tapes and then go home for two months. Jay Lethal, one of the best workers on the roster that we all and can talk his ass off, never wrestles. We never seen. Sanjay Dutt's a pretty good talking manager. Never see him live except if the fucking giant pinhead is going to do the pimple pop on somebody. Or is it is it Singe that does the pimple pop or is it almost? I can't remember. Uh, well, I think it was Satnam Singh, I think. Well, see, there's so but many what did almost do? What? now. There, there's the almost, almost is seven feet. Singe is seven feet. Skanky's seven feet. One dances. Dabo Kato. Dabo Kato. He's, but he's off dabbing somewhere. 
Well, no, he's a general now. He's General Sneeze. That's right, General Sneeze. But where did uh, the guy that... Who was General Sneeze with? He was with... Um... Apollo Crews. Apollo Crews, the Nigerian they prince. They sent him back to developmental, didn't they? They did? I didn't know that. I believe they did. Anyway, nevertheless, the point is, we actually have a match to look forward to. Jay Lethal versus Samoa Joe, July 23rd on the Ring of Honor pay-per-view, which we will be watching and talking about at length if it's got Samoa Joe versus Jay Lethal and the other match we're going to talk about in a minute. So we can look forward to that. Or they could have had it on national television and let almost a million people see a good match instead of Penthouse and fucking Roosh. So next was the end. I'm sorry, folks, if you're waiting for a rap, you ain't going to get it. The acclaimed and the guns make their entrance and right as Caster gets started, yo, listen, the guns steal his microphone because now they're mad at each other. And we had a match where the acclaimed and the guns were in an eight-man tag against Fago Del Sol. Leon Ruffin showed up, the world's thinnest man. And his name is Ruffin. You used to call his name was Leon Ruffin. You used to call him Leon Ruffin because you said, "Oh, he must be like David Ruffin." And his One name is Leon Ruffin. Look at that. Well, there you go. See, who says I'm fucking wrong about anything ever? And Bear Country. And uh, so Bowens is back wrestling. They got absolutely nothing out of him being in a wheelchair all that time. He gets up out of the wheelchair and shows he can walk and, it, and then fucks his team up and they lose. And now he's wrestling the next week. So they did that for absolutely fucking nothing. The we and now the wheelchair is ruined. Fucking idiots. So they have a two minute match. Caster goes up to the top rope. Colton gun tagged Max Caster's foot while Caster was standing on the top rope. I don't blame him. I blame the referee. Well, but I blame all of them. I blame the company and I blame the agent, whoever produced that fucking fiasco, because they had obviously told the announcers the finish, that Colton is going to force a tag to Caster and steal his victory. But they didn't tell him exactly how, so when they saw it, Taz had to say, well, that looked like a tag, and Jim Ross actually had to say, well, that looks like a tag to me, because elsewise the finish would have been inexplicable. So people that knew that it wasn't a tag, that it had no business being a tag because they knew that was the finish and they weren't going to stop and do it right, had to call it that way and look stupid to make the people understand it. So then Caster dropped the elbow off the top, but Colton had tagged and covered one, two, three. And then the team's getting a fight, and Billy picks his boys off of him, throws them down, and then clotheslined the shit out of, I think, Caster. And, okay, that got the people going, the fans they didn't expect it. They thought they were, Billy was going to swerve them and go with the acclaimed or whatever. But they've got a little heat, and they've got people interested. And then... Bowens comes up to Billy on his knees and sticks his fingers out like asking Billy to scissor him. And they took it back to comedy. And of course, Billy fucking drops him too. But after you've just clotheslined your partner, is he going to sit there and go, scissor me? Or is he going to go, what the fuck are you doing? So they have to inject comedy into that, even with a you know, a fucking obvious, plain, simple angle like this. 
Yeah, I hated yeah, that I part know. of it. I hated that part, the scissor me part at the very end, because it's preposterous that Bowens would be thinking to do that at that moment. And I hate seeing Caster on the mat that long after he gets attacked. Well, yeah, one clothesline, and he, he was in a fucking medically induced coma. I know Billy's stiff. Shit, but he shakes hands with you. He leaves bruises, but still. The acclaimed are another one of these organic AEW wrestling, I was about to say accent, I didn't want to get you upset, wrestling, don't do that. wrestling performers. Actually, I don't even like that. I like uh, gimmicks would be fine. They got over on their own. The fans are into them on their own. They were heels. They were so good at that that the fans had to start cheering them because they're so clever you can't boo them. I just hope these are two guys that I also think about, Bowens and Caster, if they can stay healthy, don't mess them up. I know they don't do all the flips, but because of their personality and how over they are, they have as much potential as any tag team in that division right now. And I'd rather them not do the flips and stuff. I'd rather them work with FTR. I'd rather them work with Billy Gunn and his kids. Those matches will be better. And I think uh, the acclaimed, again, an organic AEW troop (laughs) that people have taken to and we've come to enjoy. I have. I hope they really do so. And the guns are great. You've convinced me of that. And the more I've seen them, they're great. And I didn't know what Billy Gunn was going to do. And Billy Gunn seems into this too. So we'll see where they go. But it could have been done quicker. Yeah, it could have got there quicker. Well, speaking of quicker, we're going to save some time here. The next match was Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm, the team of Thunderstorm, going against Nyla Rose and Marina Schaefer, the team of We Suck. And I skipped over that. Rick Knox, again, the referee, he is so pale, he's translucent. He looks like one of the fucking mysterious heels from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You could read a newspaper through his fucking skin. How can he be healthy? I can see his fucking veins shooting blood such as it is to various parts of his body. He's so pale and thin and corpse-like. I heard he was just honored. By what? By who? By Pro Wrestling Gorilla, celebrating their, I think, 19-year anniversary. He's been there since the very beginning. Of course, Excalibur, one of the founders of the company, along with his buddy Joey Ryan. And Rick Knox, there from the very beginning. And they wanted to honor him for one of the worst bodies of work we've ever seen from a referee, I guess we could say on the indies and on the major stage. Ever. Yeah, I think ever. Ever takes it into account. Jim Ross made some comment about him, though. Do you know what it was? Because I skipped the match, too. And I think this is part of the problem with one day people are going to have to come to terms with the idea that maybe people don't want a women's division. But Jim Ross made some comment about Rick Knox. Did you see that? I, I honestly, I skipped this, so I would have loved to have heard it. That would have made the match worth watching. All right. Apparently he made some sort of comment. And again, we missed it, but it was the one moment he wasn't happy <laughs> an hour or two. Well, how can there. you be? How can you be with that? But anyway, yeah, Rick Knox. Well, they, I, I thought you meant he was honored by like the, the Red Cross for setting a record for giving the most blood all at the same time. Anyway, they did some more bullshit backstage, and then a pre-tape with FTR. Of course, all the people that you want to see on this program will be in 30-second pre-tapes. They won't actually be out there live for a while, but they've challenged the Briscoes to a rematch on July 23rd at the Ring of Honor pay-per-view. Yes, can I buy the thing now? I've got to check my cable guide. I know it's two weeks away. I'll buy it now if it's available. 
Can we get some Briscoe's promos and footage on this fucking program? No. If they can't be there live, they can certainly show fucking highlights and have comments on tape. This Ring of Honor pay-per-view has had the most interesting build of any pay-per-view ever. It's just 30-second promos that appear randomly throughout Dynamite. You have to find them, and then you get to hear Jay Lethal challenge someone or FTR challenge someone. They had all the matches that we want to see on this pay-per-view, but for the again, for the average person that might flip by and say, well, I'll watch the wrestling and see if it's anywhere like it was when I used to like it. They're going to go, well, wait a minute. I thought this was all elite wrestling. What's Ring of Honor? How why they're two company? We don't understand all these belts. What's New Japan? Where's AAA? Everybody's a champion. Nobody knows what's going on. Are these offshoots? Is it all one promotion? There's no way that this is like Ring of Honor was in 2006. There's no way that any average fan who didn't live their life on the internet and study all this daily could gain the knowledge to join this private club. The first thing that we did on the television program that I was responsible for with HDNet and then later on with Sinclair was start trying to explain to people who had never seen this shit before what the fuck was going on. But so now the 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 best match of July, which is going to be a rematch of the best match of WrestleMania weekend, is going to be on a Ring of Honor pay-per-view instead of their main show. And then the main event was Brody King, more of the spooky Blackfellows group versus Plummer Moxley. And at that point, I was pretty much washing my hands of this show, and I said, I will give this a chance just to see if Moxley does anything different this time, the outlaw fuck and his garbage wrestling, but out of curiosity, I'm going to stay till he starts going to the floor. I said, so I fucking paid attention. They didn't touch after the bell rang for 20 seconds. Then they locked up Brody King laid in one chop. They went face to face. They started trading blows and went to the floor. Under one minute and 15 seconds, they went to the floor. They did the same outlaw indie bullshit that they always do for 45 seconds on the floor. Moxley rolled in to break the count and didn't even actually break the plane of the rope underneath. He didn't go all the way underneath it. Rolled back out, and they were on the floor for another one full minute. <laughs> and then I just said, fuck it, Moxley's the worst wrestler in the world, and I... Tried to fast forward to the finish, but they can't manage their time because they're all amateurs and got to get their shit in. So invariably, they almost run over. And in this case, they were so close that my DVR froze before the finish even came in, which I assume it happened within 30 seconds afterwards. But who won this thing and how close were they to botching the whole thing and going off the air? Moxley won and they started announcing and I don't remember what time they did, but they started announcing that we got, you know, permission. We can go over this match will be <laughs> on the air until it ends. And thankfully it ended with seconds so remaining. They, okay. So then I know how they did that because if you have pre-authorized and you've, you've seen different shows do this. If you pre-authorized with the network that you're going to have no commercial interruption 
or you're going to stay with the main event. There may be an overrun. We're going to stay with it till the conclusion, title match, whatever. That's usually said from the top of the program, right? Throughout the show. They, they, we're going to, we've got permission or we're going to stay till the close of the main event or whatever the case. But I know this from WWE with Raw specifically, and then later on with, I think, some of the broadcasts that TNA did with Spike, because obviously most of them were taped, but they did a few live things, I think. But point is, if you are a big television program like Monday Night Raw, and I assume now here AEW Dynamite, and your broadcast partner, whether it be USA Network or TBS, you are always able to contact the television network's master control or seat of operations from your television truck if you're doing a live remote broadcast. There's a a communication that you always have or you can initiate. And it happened a few times on Raw. And remember one time... Sean and Brett started bickering and going sideways and just went off the air standing there looking at each other. You can actually call them and say, we are deeply fucked and are possibly going to run off the air. Can we have two extra minutes or whatever the case? And unless they're butting up against a live broadcast that starts at, at drop dead time of such and such, you can't change it. They can, if they give a shit about you, give you a couple of extra minutes, but it's not encouraged that they do that on the fly. You can imagine telling your wife, I'm bringing six people home for dinner. They're in the garage now. They, she'd rather have known it at 10 o'clock that morning. So they can't manage their time. They got a bunch of unprofessional assholes that have never been trained properly to figure out how to do this. They just work indies and rec centers where they get all their moves in and go 45 minutes or whatever the case. So that's another way they may get a little steam on them is if they keep bumping up against their hard out and asking for more time on the fly, that's not generally received that well, at least back at master control. But that's my thoughts on this program. What are your thoughts on this program, finally? You know, you brought up MJF before. We miss him. We miss Punk. We still don't have any kind of update about how long Punk is going to be out. But his presence on that show is missed beyond his on-air stuff, I think. I'd like to see FTR used a little better, but look, the fans have made FTR the biggest tag team in the business right now. They drowned out the Young Bucks chanting FTR, and then they didn't even get FTR on the show. Yeah, and and not even drowning out the the Hardleys with FT chance of FTR because that's what they were talking about. The Hardleys were talking about trying to prove they were the best tag team in wrestling against two other teams, and the fans were weighing in with their commentary on who they thought the best really was. Have you ever? Do they? Did they ever? Even when they were baby faces, did the people ever go Young Bucks? Young Bucks. Oh, they had some kind of chance, but I mean, it's a very... That fan base is a chanting fan base. This is awesome. Fight forever. You know, sometimes a fight has to end. You have to go to the bathroom or something. But yeah. whatever. Boy, try to drop an elbow when you really have to piss and see how that works out for you. 
That's not good. All right. Speaking of working out for you, before we go to the main event this week and talk about all the fucking cracks and crevices that Vince McMahon has stuck himself into, what's going on on the Arcadian Vanguard Network this fine summer week? Another action-packed week this summer week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Information about all the shows available on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. This week on Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam, John's guest is Ian Totten, the author, and they're talking... Author, author Ian Totten. That's what I just said, and they're talking ECW, 1996 CyberSlam, and much more. Check that out right now at McAdamPod.com, or look for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcasts. This week on Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, the boys talk with Downtown Bruno, Harvey Whippleman. Hear that today at BaldrinPod.com. Also look for Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry wherever you find your favorite podcast. Arcadian Vanguard will have a few announcements in a few weeks. Stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, the Mothership! A surprise one there. The 605 Super Podcast. Go to 605pod.com. Go through the archive today. And look for the 605 Super Podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts, The Mothership. You know, you talked about it's a fine summer week. Did did you ever meet that girl that had summer teeth? I did not. You never met the girl with summer teeth? Summer here, summer gone, summer green? Oh, I did meet her. I did meet her in uh, Barberville. She had an overbite, too. All right, enough of the various Arcadian Vanguard tomfoolery. It's time for the main event of today's program on the experience. The big news was broken again by the Wall Street Journal. It's not $3 million that Vince McMahon has paid out in hush money. It's $12 million. $12 million. He wouldn't pay Brett $2 million. And Brett was selling him tickets, just not blowing him. Yeah, no one ever realized that's why Vince said he couldn't afford the contract. Everyone's like, well, what do you no, mean he can't afford the contract? That was before all, the women. all of this stuff. That was before Vince didn't have $12 million. To, see, I still <laughs> remember he would bring this up sometimes just apropos of nothing. If you just have an advance for something wasn't very good or anything about well, I remember that $6 million that came out of my ass last year or whatever. In 1995, the company, for the first time ever, lost money. It was $6 million, and he was pissed about it two years later. When they had turned things around, he was still pissed about that. So I refuse to believe that the Vince McMahon of 1997 would have just, oh, here, here's $7 million to you and $1 million to you and $3 million to you, and here's a few more million. Fuck. But I got an email. Uh, this was before the the big news came out in the Wall Street Journal on Friday, and we'll go over that story in a second. But this is from Chris. And just real quick, because we talked about something like this. Hi, Jim and Brian. I just wanted to touch base with you two on the Vince McMahon sex scandal plaguing WWE. Jim has been adamant that if Vince had just hired a sex worker, actually, I said a hooker, but sex worker sounds a little more upscale, for his quote-unquote needs, 
he wouldn't have to pay out the $3 million and it wouldn't be as big of a controversy. So Chris goes on to say, I asked a high-end sex worker recently what $3 million would buy Vince, and I thought the two of you would like to know the result. Actually, I'd like to know the high-end sex worker that you were talking to and any pertinent details such as contact information, but I'll take this. Hi, you looking, you looking to have a good time? No, I'm looking for information. Tell me, yeah, show yeah. me your taxes. <laughs> at a rate of a, yeah, I'm looking to have some good information there. At a rate of $1,000 a day for engagements, Vince could have had a high-end sex worker for eight years, excluding gifts, dinners, and other extra expenses, which is solid proof that Vince is an idiot for not hiring a professional. This was before the latest revelation, so in case you can't do the math, if you get a high-end sex worker for eight years for $3 million, you can get one for 32 years for $12 million. I mean, the, 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 the couple, I can't remember their names, but there was a married couple, a man and a woman that was the maid and the groundskeeper and various, you know, jack-of-all-trades around the house in Stamford there in the 90s. I don't think he was paying them that much money, and they were doing quite a bit more strenuous work. Well, I don't know. I don't know how strenuous the work that the paralegal and these other people were doing, but it probably didn't last as long. They didn't do it eight hours a day. Can we start with that, if you don't mind? Because sure. it's in this article that was in the Wall Street Journal, and it kind of finishes what we started last time. You said the paralegal. Is she a paralegal? Well, apparently not. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying she's not licensed to be a paralegal, but apparently now the journal story said she didn't apply for the job with the WWE at all. She met Vince at the condo in Stamford that Vince was living in, uh, which we've heard about that, that he got a condo, and and I think didn't he have another place in, in New York in the city? Yeah, and Linda's been wherever the heck Linda's been for however long. Florida. But I think it's Florida. Well, maybe she got the big house down there. He... He had a $10 million place in Florida. He used to go for two weeks at Christmas during the break, and he'd work from there. That's the only time he ever saw that $10 million house. But anyway, so she didn't apply for the job. She met him at the condo in Stamford where they were both living, and he <laughs> suggested that she come and take the job, which she was hired at at the entry-level salary of $100,000 a year. And again, she wasn't a paralegal because... Her resume had law school on it. They put her in the, they put her in that department and paid her a hundred thousand dollars. You know what? I took German in the sixth grade. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? I could be a translator. The other interesting thing about the Eins, zwei, drei, vier, fünf, six, seven, not. All right, all right. Yeah. Well, the other interesting thing about the person who it turns out you may have been right. She may have been an illegal paralegal. Is it said that when working in the law department, she made everyone uncomfortable because she kept talking about Vince? Well, well, you got you got the article there, right? I do, I do. And and let's it's the Wall Street Journal, WSJ.com. We want to plug everybody. I can't remember all three of the off the authors. They said three reporters working on it. One of them was Joe Flint, and he honestly, I apologize, Joe, although I don't think he listens to the show and uh, regularly, but he called me, left me a message. 
uh, telling me that he was researching a story like this. I did not get back to him because, as we will find out here shortly, I didn't have anything germane to add to this conversation. Yes, you did. You're, you're referenced in the article. How's that? And in a 2006 agreement, a former manager who had worked 10 years for Mr. McMahon before he allegedly initiated a sexual relationship. That was around the time you left OVW, wasn't it? Yeah, but I'd been there 12 years. Former manager. So, well, Ixnay. Ixnay. Well, on, give- on the, the Oblob, Jay. Well, before we have too much fun here, let's give credit where it is due. Joe Flint, Ted Mann, and Joe Palazzolo, who was the person who also authored the previous article about this, so he's obviously working that Vince McMahon beat. The article, WWE's Vince McMahon agreed to pay $12 million in hush money to four women. The longtime chief of World Wrestling Entertainment, Inc., secured non-disclosure agreements that keep secret allegations of sexual misconduct and infidelity. Let me stop there and ask you something, because it's the one thing I kept thinking about that it's not in this article, and it's kind of more something to opine about with your buddies. The infidelity thing I don't think really matters. I mean, this marriage has been a sham for a long time, so what the fuck was happening that they needed NDAs? Because that ain't it. Well, and I mean, the publicly traded company, and they don't want bad publicity and a blah, blah, blah. But infidelity gets Vince over with the fan base. But for the same reason that Ric Flair, the nature boy in his prime, became a cool heel and later on became a cultural touchstone, because every guy wants to be the guy that makes all the money and fucks all the women. And they don't care how that happens. So, like I mentioned, when Vince came out, the WWE fans in the arena brought the house down for him because he's the one that brought them all this. They love this and they like him for that. Even though the disenfranchised wrestling fans, the ones that don't like the WWE anymore, they (laughs) blame Vince kind of for running them off. But in front of his people... And when he's accused of infidelity, nobody gives a shit about that. Like you said, what everybody wants to know the dirt, but down deep they're going, yeah, that fuck, he's almost 80 years old. He's still fucking. So that's not a big deal. Where Obviously, where it comes down to a problem for the company is because of the publicly traded aspect and stockholders and SEC regulations and as we mentioned, we'll have Stephen P. New on the, the drive through this week talk about some of those things. But if this was still the old WWF at a private company, nobody even know about this. And, but somebody is feeding this information because of the publicly traded aspect of the thing. They see an opening. They see an opportunity for whatever their thing is. But yeah, like you said, infidelity, that... Yeah, big deal. And he spit on the sidewalk and crossed against the light. Nobody gives a shit. And in terms of, you know, if you want to talk about the reporting here, and not, I mean, they're doing a great job, but in terms of who's leaking what, if I had to put my money on it, it's coming out of the board of directors, and let's see what happens. Let's see if Nick Khan's head rolls, because who benefits from Vince being pushed out of the way? Because that's what this is. The fact that this is leaking isn't so, we do a thorough investigation and he stays. this shit is leaking because someone's trying to get Vince out of that company. Right. That's the only possible outcome that, that this whole thing would have come up over, but let's pick and choose in the article. We may not go in chronological order, but we were talking about the paralegal and the 
questionable way she got hired, but read the part where it talks about how she couldn't shut up about Vince. That he, apparently he, he she wasn't smart to the wrestling business, obviously, because it, it was a complete strange thing to her. She had never been in it and never even applied for a job in it. But one would think that getting a job under those circumstances, one would keep one's mouth shut. But apparently it was the opposite. Read that part if you Well, will. yeah, there's a few paragraphs here that relate directly to that. The former paralegal to whom Mr. McMahon agreed to pay $3 million was brought into the company as a legal assistant in 2019, according to people familiar with the matter. She never applied for the job, these people said. Mr. McMahon had met her at his Stamford, Connecticut condo building, where both were living, the people said. WWE placed her in the legal department because the woman's resume said she had attended law school, the people said. <laughs> the woman often talked with colleagues in the department about her close relationship with Mr. McMahon, the people familiar with the matter said. The talk about Mr. McMahon was so frequent that her boss asked her to stop, saying she was making other employees uncomfortable, according to one of the people. In 2021, the woman transferred from the legal department to talent relations under Mr. Laurinaitis, who returned to the role he had held a decade earlier, we'll talk more about him in a little bit. WWE considered raising the woman's annual salary from $100,000 to around $300,000 Boo! at Mr. McMahon's request. According to people familiar with the matter, the company settled on a base salary of $200,000 and a director-level position. An anonymous email sent to the board on March 30th this year and viewed by the journal alleged that Mr. McMahon increased the woman's salary after he began a sexual relationship with her. The email alleged that Mr. McMahon gave her like a toy to Mr. Laurinaitis. Well, uh, some of that has obviously been heard before, but not the specifics of she was a blabbermouth and they met in the condo and etc. But, but again, that just accounted for the tip of the iceberg, the $3 million and the illegal paralegal, but now the thrust of this story was they have found, and they never say these are all the NDAs. They just say now that these have been reported and they're under investigation as well, right? But did they ever say, well, we, we know that these are the extent of them or just this is more? We just know that this is more. We don't even know if this is everything the board has. We don't know if the board has more. We just know that this is what's out there. And we also have to assume that there's stories that may not have an NDA attached. Not everyone leaves with, okay, I'll just take a payoff and leave. And I'm saying that more casually than someone who may have right. been victimized if that's what happened. But there may be people say, no, fuck you. I'm not taking your money. We don't know what else is out there. Or there might be people that saying, you know what? I just want out of this and I'm not going to say anything to anybody because it'll just drag me into chaos. Cause this, you know, a lot of people may not want to be on the cover of the wall street journal for you know having an inappropriate relationship but you gotta think isn't this i mean, and i'm i can't even believe i'm saying this and i've talked about how that uh, this just gobsmacks me about vince because i cannot see the vince mcmahon that i knew as a guy that would even have a naked picture of himself i i it's like it's like somebody telling you, I'm not saying I had a fatherly relationship with Vince, like who was it, Sean or Brett or whoever said these things, but I'm talking about 
He was like a friendly high school principal. And every once in a while, when the kids in the room would get fucking too rowdy, he'd drop those glasses and look over the top of them down his nose, and everybody would sit up a little straighter and adjust their tie. If you had held a gun to me and said, yes or no, does Vince McMahon own a naked photo of himself? I would have said, feel free to say no, Cornette, because that's a safe bet. And I don't know what it had to be, like we talked about before when the first story came out, when they went public, he went out of his fucking mind. I, I mean, he went Even look from, at the booking. Look at the way he booked himself with all the women on TV. Right around the time he became a billionaire on paper. Yeah, it's, it's like suddenly he goes from, you know, Ben Stein supervising study hall to goddamn weekend at Bernie's. It's just, so I don't, I'm astonished by this whole thing, but the, as I said, the article goes into, there's more, including one with 7 million. Yeah. See, that's the interesting one. I have that. And they're bringing talent into this. Go ahead. Spill those, those beans. Yeah. Cause I have something to say about this. The previously unreported settlements include a $7.5 million pact with a former wrestler who alleged that Mr. McMahon coerced her into giving him oral sex and then demoted her and ultimately declined to renew her contract in 2005 after she resisted further sexual encounters, according to people familiar with the matter. The wrestler and her attorney approached Mr. McMahon in 2018 and negotiated a payment in return for her silence, the people said. So let's stop there, and I only want to stop there for one reason, and we can talk about whatever you want with it. I, well, I'm wondering about how, why it took 12 or 13 years to uh, come back around on that one. Go ahead. Well, there's a lot of interesting things timing-wise that were happening around that period of time, too. But what got me was assuming this happened, and he coerced this talent into giving him a blowjob and then demoted her and fired her. I don't know what the motive would be. There are different people that have had different thoughts, but... If that really happened, that's not even the diva blowjob story that I know. That that everyone yeah, well, fucking yeah, knows. You're, yeah, that that a lot of people from the airplane that has been bandied yeah. around because when they got their own airplane and then Vince would have private meetings and writers would be scuttled off to the galley area or something during the private meeting or whatever. There's been those going around, but yeah, there's... That's what I'm saying. It's kind of like it's a it's DUI. If there's four of them that we know about, how many more don't we know about? And how many times did somebody get away with something? Is there anyone on the active roster right now that's being treated favorably because of it? I mean, that matters too. And I think that's what ties into, you know, a lot of these discussions is before when it was a paralegal, and even if it was the three million was Vince's own personal money, still the company money was paying this apparently unqualified person to do some level of business. But now you're talking about talent and people on the roster and in a publicly traded company where the, not only the majority owner, but the guy who's the boss of basically everything is now having inappropriate relationships with the stars of the television program that affects the company because he's still the guy that's running creative and still the guy that decides who gets on TV and who doesn't. 
Well, here's another passage, Jim, about another allegation, apparently from another wrestler, or at least on-air personality, based on the way it's written here. In another previously unreported deal, a WWE contractor presented the company with unsolicited nude photos of Mr. McMahon she reported receiving from him and alleged that he had sexually harassed her on the job, according to people familiar with the woman's 2008 non-disclosure agreement. Mr. McMahon agreed to pay Hold on, hold on, hold on one second. Contractor, just to not skip over that, that's somebody that would have been like in the the television studio end, not even working there full time, but just like people, they, they contractors are brought in as this is the sound people or these are the catering people or the, at an arena, these are the crew that we brought in to do something. So that we're not even talking about an employee now, just he saw somebody and said, boy, she needs some pictures of Captain Howdy. I don't. Do we know that though? I mean, the fact that the Wall Street Journal is using the term contractor and the wrestlers are independent contractors. Oh, well, okay, maybe misapplying a, a term. Yeah, that we don't know for sure. Also. Yeah. But uh, to finish this one off, in, uh, according to the non-disclosure agreement, people familiar with it, Mr. McMahon agreed to pay her roughly $1 million. <laughs> and in a If he'd ever asked me for a blowjob for a $1 million in 1996, I wasn't as well off as I am today. Oh, will you stop it? And in a 2006 agreement, a former manager who had worked 10 years for Mr. McMahon before he allegedly initiated a sexual relationship with her was paid $1 million to keep quiet about it, according to people familiar with the deal. And then the journal talks about the previous story they had about the illegal paralegal. And a lot of names were bandied around as who could this be? And everybody's trying to put the thing together. And I I heard somebody mention Molly Holly. I'm like, are you completely out of your fucking mind? I mean, there's very few things I'd bet the farm on anymore. But, you know, they used to say so-and-so's not that kind of girl. Well, figure Molly Holly not being that kind of girl. You had the best line ever about one of the girls, and it made well, me laugh. Well, I, I, I was going to say, you mentioned, well, somebody said Jackie Gate. I said, are you out of your fucking mind? Charlie Haas would have fucking killed Vince McMahon. Charlie Haas punched the fuck out of Grizzly Redwood for stepping on his cowboy hat. <laughs> That's what you said. I didn't say Jackie Gator for the record. I said people were well, trying no, to put two and two together. throwing all these yeah. names. And no, not only, and Jackie, I knew Jackie and worked with Jackie. I sound like, who was it, Lloyd Benson in the vice presidential debate. I, but I know Jack, it wasn't Jackie Gata. Let's just put <laughs> that down there. When I said to you, that's what you said. You said, he punched Grizzly Redwood for stepping on his hat. He would kill yeah. Vince McMahon. <laughs> he would, oh, I wouldn't have been able to, when Charlie worked with me in, what, 10 years ago in Ring of Honor, I wouldn't have been able to stop him from cutting promos about it if that had happened. He would, that would have been a fucking issue with Charlie Haas. So What's no, it wasn't. But who knows who it was? It does. Point is, a lot of money floating around for people not to talk about shit that I just, I just am astonished at. It's not that I didn't think that Vince liked pussy. It's that I always thought Vince was smarter than this, or more in control of him. Is this a guy that hates to sneeze because he's not in control and he. And he got he, a, he got in a condo closer to the office. He couldn't even drive to Greenwich anymore. He said, "You know, I'm going to stay closer to home, closer yeah. to bed." And that so I'm just astonished by this that he wasn't smarter or straighter or more in control of his 
activities that he would do this and take this risk and do these things. And, you know, the only reason that, I mean, there's been stories since the IPO and the stock and everything, there's been stories about all the juvenile behavior on the plane and all the shit going on and stuff like this and private meetings or whatever. But it's almost, I guess you you can say that, well, Vince realized that he had enough money to pay anybody to do anything or not say anything about anything he wanted to do. But I would have thought that it would have been when I got more money and my company went from being worth whatever million to five billion that I'm, and I got at the same time I got older, that his behavior might have straightened up a bit rather than going straight back to the fucking frat house at college. I'm, I'm just, I'm astonished. And there was, um, well, here's another part of the article. <laughs> I was about to say in, in the rest of the article, there's some more tidbits as well. Go ahead with what you were going to do. The board also is investigating allegations that WWE executive John Laurinaitis had a sexual relationship with the same former paralegal, according to people familiar with the inquiry. Additionally, the board is looking at a $1.5 million non-disclosure agreement reached in 2012 with an employee involving misconduct claims against Mr. Laurinaitis. Boom goes the dynamite! These people said... Mr. Laurinaitis, a former wrestler known as Johnny Ace, had been head of WWE talent relations for eight years when he was forced to step down in 2012 and take a smaller role at the company. His demotion came around the same time as the $1.5 million deal with the employee, who alleged she had an affair with Mr. Laurinaitis and that he demoted her after she broke it off, people familiar with the non-disclosure agreement said. Mr. McMahon had restored Mr. Laurinaitis as head of talent relations last year. <laughs> WWE has since placed Mr. Laurinaitis on administrative leave, a person familiar with the matter said. So, John Laurinaitis, in 2012, when he was head of talent relations before, ended up costing, the was that $1.5 million? Uh, that they know that about they right now, yes. Well, just in that incident. And was and remember around that time he was demoted or whatever the however they phrased it, but he we didn't know why, but it was obviously welcome news because he's a complete suck up, yes man. But then seven years later, eight years later, whatever it was, Vince decides let's bring back John Laurinaitis, and somebody in that company had to say, well. Remember that he, about seven or eight years ago, cost us one and a half million dollars because he had an inappropriate relationship with one of the employees, and now you want to return him to the position of the head of talent relations where he has to relate and have relations with all the talent. I know the perfect person to put with him. I know the perfect person that could keep him in line. <laughs> And Vince himself puts him in there and Vince himself gets a goddamn illegal paralegal and Vince himself transfers the illegal paralegal over to Laurinaitis to do the same goddamn thing. Wouldn't you know who won the pony? Or in this case, wouldn't you know who won the pussy? How does that make any sense? John Laurinaitis is not Vince McMahon. 
John Laurinaitis has never been named as the person that's most integral to the future of the WWE to their stockholders, Vince McMahon has. John Laurinaitis is not the guy that owns 80% of the company at all. All the voting fucking shares in the stock scam that they did, Vince McMahon is. John Laurinaitis is not the guy there that everybody still looks at like, shit, we don't want to get on his bad side. Vince McMahon is. So as far as I can tell, when he just did it two years ago, and it was a reprise from 10 years ago, and it's cost the company a couple of million dollars and a lot of bad publicity, I would get the idea that John Laurinaitis' desk has probably already been cleaned out. That's just me, though. I don't know. It seems like Vince is loyal to his fuck buddies. You never know. Well, but no, but then there comes the level of Trumpishness when they start cracking down on all the improprieties, and then all of a sudden, who was that? I never had her on Air Force One. I barely know that guy. Who was that? Vince, Laurinaitis, wasn't he a road warrior? No, John, Johnny is, uh, he better take that big smile and those nice dimples and go apply to wash dishes at Denny's because I don't think he's going to be back on the job for that company after finding at two of them, 10 years apart both facilitated by the same guy that's under investigation for another 10 or $12 million. He gets his power back right away. He's having an affair with his subordinate right away. How do you, again, why do people even want to have a fucking affair with people that you have to look at in the office? What if, what if then you get stuck regardless if you're even not mad at each other, then you got to say, Oh boy, you look nice today. Or whatever. It was easy at Sony. There were different elevator banks. Well, there you, and, and plus the music business, you know. Hey, rock and roll. Um, what else did the Wall Street Journal have to impart? Is that the basic new information I believe we've covered? Well, that's a lot of the information. A couple other things that I think the listeners would probably be interested in knowing, and it's some things that you've alluded to. But in terms of the stock... WWE revenue includes five-year exclusive agreement, excuse me, a five-year exclusive agreement with NBC Universal's Peacock streaming platform struck in 2021, valued at $1 billion. The company also has a TV licensing agreement with Fox Corp and with NBC Universal, and recently secured its first standalone international distribution deal with Disney Plus Hotstar in Indonesia. Fox Corp and journal parent News Corp share common ownership of, of course, the Wall Street Journal. And then, this is the important part. Mr. McMahon owns a majority of WWE Class B shares, giving him the bulk of shareholders' voting power, security filing show. The Class B shares have 10 times the voting power of Class A shares <laughs> available to regular investors and are owned exclusively by Mr. McMahon, his family, and trusts benefiting individual family members, the filing show, and then here's a quote from Brandon Ross, who does research. The bar is going to be reasonably high to wrestle the business from family control. So we could talk about that a little bit. He has all the well, power there. And that's one of the reasons I never would purchase that stock and I never believed in that stock. It was more like you're investing in someone's personal piggy bank. And clearly he was treating things behind the scenes the same way he was the creative on camera. I'm going to do whatever I want. It's all about me. I'm going to have a good time. I don't care. But, you know, when you're a shareholder, you should care. And that's one of the reasons I never liked that stock was 
you're really just funding Vince McMahon to do whatever he wants. There's no transparency. There's no, you can't change that board of directors. You're not changing that fucking CEO or chairman. Well, yeah. And that's, I mean, from the time that I heard them talking about going public, issuing stock, selling stock, et cetera, Vince, that has always been Vince's company. He's always been able to do whatever he wanted to with it. He's gotten used to being able to do pretty much whatever he wants to. We've told all the stories of he just pisses in the face of police officers and FBI or fucking airline pilots or whatever. He's, you know, he needs to, he needs to get the information he needs, regardless of who it's from, how he has to ask or whatever. But that's the way they set it up. And Jerry McDivitt, and I'm sure every other bit of expert legal advice, financial advice, they've got the best in the business, in those areas of expertise. So they set the thing up, and I knew that from the start, where they could sell stock and people would give them a bunch of money, but nothing would change as far as Vince being in control, complete, sole, total control. But now with him at this age, the popularity starting to wane um, of the entire WWE, and this knowledge that these things have been going on, somebody, like you said, in the board of directors or near the board of directors is trying to say, let's let's get this guy out of here. Is it just somebody who just has a grudge? Is it somebody that stands to be in a better position because of it? Or is it just somebody that says, you know, that fucking Vince, I've had it up to here with him and it's time to take him down a peg. But they're still going to have a heck of a, tr- a time doing it. but. With all this distraction, it can't be good for business, and that's why the idiots on the other side of the street ought to be trying to capitalize instead of, you know, playing pretend wrestler. Yeah, and again, we haven't heard anything from Nick Khan, and I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but it is interesting. All of a sudden, Vince is once again surrounded by Stephanie and Triple H. All of a sudden, Vince is bringing everything in-house and getting his people around him as Circle much as the he wagons. can. He, he knows... It, Stephanie will jump in front of a bullet. Bruce will jump in front of a bullet. Triple H will try to hire somebody to jump in front of a bullet. I don't know if he'd do it himself for Vince. Um, But he's tightening the inner circle because that's the people that he can trust. Or at least he thinks. You never know. This could be a Perry Mason. You know, and Vince always does have the option to go try and secure financing and take the company back private. And then he doesn't have to worry about a board investigation. But here's the bigger issue. In terms of what could be done in-house... Him and his family control that company, even with the public shares. Very little could be done. What happens if, I'm not going to say when, but what happens if, if more stories come out and if NBC Universal or Fox say, we don't want to do business with you anymore? That's what you better worry about. If one of the, if more stories come out and if it gets beyond just being blowjobs for payment, it's not even that. A blowjob for work and then you took it off the table. I mean, this whole bunch of shit. And there's more stories that may come out. That's what you got to worry about if you're WWE. What if one of your television partners, who's really putting up all the money for all the success the company's having right now, it's not coming from pay-per-view. It's coming from partners and broadcast rights. What happens if they say, we don't want to do business with you? If they had to subsist on ticket sales, I don't... Are are they actually grossing? Well, it's more money, but adjusted for inflation or implosion. Adjusted for inflation, it would be interesting to see if just ticket sales for the WWE are even 
today 30 or 40 percent of what they were in the early and mid 80s. That would be interesting. But nevertheless, um, one thing that may be indicative of a problem is they're saying now, I don't know that anybody has attributed this to an official declaration from Netflix, but the rumors going around that they're going to ixnay the Vince documentary that's been planned and shot and a bunch of work done and was very close to premiering. And that pisses me off because not only did I've no in-depth book or doc. I know there's a book coming out and I know this documentary and they were going to do a movie, but that certainly wouldn't have been in depth because Vince was cooperating, but no really insightful, incisive piece on Vince like that has ever been done on him himself. He's been in the periphery of talking about the WWE or other stars. I would have loved to have seen that documentary just to see what they came up with. But if Netflix is pulling that because of this, I mean, that seems to me to be sensitive because if I was a TV network that that didn't wasn't beholden in any way to the WWE and didn't care what they thought of me, and had this deal and had this stuff already shot, I'd be airing that thing because Vince as a person and as somebody that people are talking about hadn't been this hot in a long time. It was with their cooperation it was going to be made. A Vince McMahon documentary or a Vince McMahon biopic that's going to be honest and try to tell the truth? I'm all for that. But a WWE sanctioned with McMahon family cooperation Vince biopic or doc is going to be bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> well, you so, may be right there. See, well, see, I didn't know Netflix. Was this just a deal they made to do this series, or are they in bed with some of the big corporations that everybody's interconnected with? Are they doing ongoing business with the WWE? Is there some reason why they would bend over backwards to lie and sugarcoat and present a fairy tale version, or, you know, I guess just because Vince probably insisted on final edit approval. Well, it's Bill Simmons. Bill Simmons is the guy who did the Andre the Giant documentary filled with bullshit. Okay. That wasn't exactly true. He's someone who's always courted a relationship with WWE and really kissed their ass and played ball. From ESPN. Yeah, he's right? done some good sports okay. documentaries, but his wrestling shit is so suspect, it makes the rest of his stuff come, come under uh, suspicion. But he's always kissed their ass, so it was going to be a very, very friendly piece. Well, that's what started this whole thing was a friendly piece. God damn it. (laughs) Should I do a Costanza? Are we done here? Is there anything else with this story? I mean, how are you going to feel if one of these girls that you know, that you have a good relationship with, that you worked with, if one of them say, I I never told you, but Vince was harassing me and yeah, I, I accidentally did something one night and I got punished for it. Do you think that could happen? I mean, do you think this is pervasive? Well, and and don't say I accidentally did something like, you know, like Cartman said, yeah, I tripped and fell down and his dick went in my mouth or what, you know, they were coerced or pressured or whatever, and they didn't accidentally do it. They did it under duress or under, you know, improper circumstances. But I mean, I would believe them at this point before, like I said, I would believe that Vince was capable of underhanded business practices and, you know, doing old promotional tricks to fuck with opponents or opposition. And, and I would think that, you know, he valued the bottom line and would try to get everything he could out of a negotiation or some, I wasn't saying he was a saint, but I'm just astonished 
I guess at the lack of maturity of somebody that you thought, because Vince always had that, that aura to me and to a lot of people that you can't imagine Vince on the toilet taking a shit. You can't imagine, you know, Vince in a laundromat. He's not a normal person. He was always put, even, even when he didn't have his hair combed, when you'd get to his house 8.30 in the morning, He's got his workout clothes on and his fucking hair is flying around everywhere and there's no hairspray. But he's still slick shaved because of his habits and he looked more put together and and authoritarian than most people anyway. And it just, you would think that this guy that runs this business, that's made this much money, that's, you know, like I said, he wasn't burdensome to work for him when you were in the inner circle you could joke and you could laugh but you could also do that with a favorite school teacher which that's the kind of vibe it i didn't want to misbehave people didn't want to fuck up or they you know watched what they said you know around the boss because ultimately vince was the boss and like i said straighten up your tie and sit up straight in your chair proper posture the the boss is in the room and now he's just a fucking raven frat boy. It's insane. I would have never thought. And again, the last several years, he surrounded himself once again with Bruce, who had been thrown out of the company, and Laurinaitis, who it turns out now his demotion wasn't just because Triple H was taking over. So look who he's surrounding himself with. <sighs> hmm. Well, I don't know. And at least nobody has said that Bruce was uh... an enabler. What, a Vince no, enabler? I, I, nobody, nobody said that Bruce was hopping over to the neighbor's garden. Uh, Bruce has a, a, a lovely wife. They've been married for years and years and years. Yeah, don't, and, don't worry uh, about it. No one wants to fuck him. Well, I was about to say, nobody <laughs> said that. They haven't had to pay any money out because of Bruce. But uh, I wonder, was Bruce ever watching the door? It was like well, JJ. It was like when when Miss Atlanta Lively punched Flair and knocked him into the pool. Yeah, JJ was in yeah. the closet with his fucking. That's Bruce. Can I just hide in the closet? Can I just watch in the yeah. closet? <laughs> Come out of the closet, Bruce. No, I'm kidding. That's from South Park. Tom Cruise is in the closet. And he won't come out. They're gonna come out of the closet, Tom. No. All righty. Well, we don't end the show, else. Jim. We don't know what else will come out of this closet, this storage closet of rumor and uh, suspicion and NDAs, but we will continue to keep you up to date. Uh, and as we mentioned on the drive through this week, more frivolity, jocularity, and some legal opinions. Unfortunately, that interview was already taped before we found out about the next nine million but we'll talk about the first three million with Stephen p new that's on the drive through this week and until then i believe we're done here so in parting i'd like to wish you love peace and soul thank you fuck you bye-bye everybody wednesday nights i get to stay up late which kenny omega while i masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Yeah. And my mom. 
Says I'm in the key demo. 